Good evening, hailing frequencies are open. Welcome back to Clear Skies, our Star Trek RPG show, now done remotely. <laughs> uh, and we are back into our main campaign today. So we're eager to jump back in uh, with the crew of the USS Ross and continue on our mission in the Shackleton Expanse. We are in the middle of a deep space exploration mission. Um, today is gonna be a very interesting day because it is gonna be our first contact mission, which I love because it was first contact day yesterday. Um, which is pretty spectacular. So happy first contact day, late first contact day. And then uh, I would also say happy Tartan Day to all my fellow Scots out there. Um, and happy birthday to Lark Sage. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring happy it Happy birthday to Lark Sage. Oh, right, because Lark was born on, born on first contact day. Aww. So make sure to pet your daring tribbles tonight, folks. Phrasing. Oh, do you have your, oh, do you have your, tri you have your tribble? Oh, there's Lark's tribble. <laughs> Um, so uh, before we jump into the game tonight, we just have a few announcements. Um, the first one I was going to tell you about um, before we hand it off is that this Friday at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time here on Q Times, we are going to be having Thomas Maroney of Star Trek Online hang out with us remotely. And we're going to chat about the USS Ross and we're going to chat about Starship design in general for Star Trek Online and just talk 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 star trek it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good time um so um definitely tune in for that it'll be fun to sit down with thomas and actually discuss with him like maybe he'll be I, he even said that he had some of the 3d renders of the 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 ross that i remember i was sharing with you guys when the ross was being designed and i was showing some of the updated designs um he has some some really great never before seen stuff that we would love to show the audience um, who always has a bunch of questions um, based on our favorite double warp core baby. Um, before we jump into any other announcements tonight, do you do you guys have anything? Uh, anybody else have any announcements you want to make? I do. Yeah, what's up? On Wednesday, here on Q Time, starting at 5 o'clock, uh, we'll be starting a campaign called Denver by Night. It's an all-female vampire masquerade cast. Uh, come check it out. I'm in it and amazing people are in it. So yeah, it's yeah. going to be awesome. And if you want to watch more Vampire the Masquerade, you can check out LA by Night. I just had an epilogue as X and also Long Beach by Night here on Q Times. Uh, I just did a, an epilogue or there was an epilogue with Joseph Pander, who is a character that I play. And there might be another one down the pipeline. Uh, so who knows? Got to watch all of them to see where I show up. <laughs> Spooky business. Yeah, me. I didn't catch any of those, Xander, but I did see a ton of tweets saying, holy shit, Xander, holy shit. Oh, yeah, for LA by Night. Impression. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How's everybody else doing? Anybody else have any other announcements they want to get to before we jump into Ye Old Campaign? I love it because with mute buttons and remote, it's definitely silent. Like it is just completely quiet. Better to sneak up behind you. My <laughs> what an opportune moment for Sand to come in and threaten my life. Um, all right. Well, if there's no if there's no other announcements, then Excuse I guess. you. <laughs> I beg your pardon. I think you will find that we are back. I am captain again, and I'm excited. Okay, fair enough. I'm I, I'm not gonna lie though. I am getting a Rue vibe. It's the shaved head. It's the fresh buzz. I'm getting a Rue vibe tonight. Lacey also. <laughs> I know, I know, but Lacey didn't wear that command uniform. <laughs> well, so fear me. Oh. 
All right, without any further ado, and without any more death threats, let's go ahead and jump into tonight's episode of Clear Skies. I'm just saying that the assimilation process doesn't take that long, Sam. You might as well just... I don't have to be here. I don't <laughs> have to be here. We've discussed this many times. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into tonight's episode of Clear Skies. So as a quick review, because it's been uh, a couple of weeks since we've jumped back into our main campaign with USS Ross. So where did we leave off? Well, the USS Ross, for those of you who might remember, uh, was on assignment studying the immersion of a particle fountain, which is a very dangerous celestial phenomenon that emerges in deep space. Um, the Federation has come into contact with particle fountains before, and apparently, according to the lore, 12 starships have been lost to particle fountains over the time of their study. It is claimed a lot of lives. They are extremely volatile and very dangerous, very unpredictable. But an opportunity to study one at range using some of the new technology of the USS Ross made it kind of an irresistible target, especially because it appeared within the scopes of Narendra Station. So the USS Ross was sent out into deep space, into the Jotam sector, if I remember correctly. I'm always mispronouncing my own words. <laughs> um, the Jotam sector. <clears throat> where she was to keep at stations and study this particle fountain from a distance. However, upon arriving at the Jotam sector, there was something else waiting for her. A space station, apparently, not too far from the perimeter of this particle fountain that was also being used as a scientific laboratory with a configuration that was unknown to Federation databases. Getting in a little bit closer, the USS Ross was able to confirm that this was an unknown species, that it was a space station that looked like it had been constructed by slightly more archaic tech, um, probably early warp capable creatures. It also, scans also revealed that the station apparently was running on low power and may be in distress. So, staging an away team, the crew of the USS Ross, the command crew, beamed over to assess the situation and find out what was going on after detecting some life forms on board. They did find the life forms. In fact, they found a brand new species never before encountered by the United Federation of Planets and a species that has definitely been encountered by the United Federation of Planets, the Gorn. Apparently, the Gorn had staged somewhat of a silent raid on this place 
And thinking that this is a space station that was just free for the taking, the Gorn had attempted to salvage this illegally on their own. Not expecting a Ross-class starship. No one expects a Ross-class starship because there's only one. Um, showing up on the scene and making life difficult for them. Uh, if you remember correctly, one of our officers that was actually wounded in that battle, uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Wren took a shot, a disruptor blast. Um, I'm sorry, Prawl. Prawl, Lieutenant Commander Prawl took a disruptor blast to the shoulder, which knocked him down and out of the fight momentarily. You guys were able to resume control of the station. You were able to gain control of the station by essentially beating back the Gorn and causing them to submit. After using the powerful tractor beams of the USS Ross, you were able to disable their ship and keep them from escaping. Um, disabling their ship is what led us to the next encounter um, with a Gorn pirate captain. After, after imprisoning these Gorn pirates that were illegally salvaging the station, it was a simply a station that was in distress. This Gorn captain, and I am curious, Sam, do you remember the Gorn captain's name? Do you have that in your lore document? Putting you on the I spot. Have, uh, I have some names, but I don't know whether the names that I have are the name is, is the name of that captain. I have just heard. Right. Well, suffice to say, um, we can actually pull this up real quick because I actually am looking at my notes here, and I looks it's like right. I actually <laughs> never gave him a name. It looks yeah, like right, I actually. Right. You have it. Is it Rydeck or Ryder? Rydeck. Rydeck. I think it was something along those lines. I I actually accidentally, uh, and I, I was going to check in with you guys before we started the game tonight, but I accidentally cut and pasted ox crew names over the captain's name <laughs> and saved it. So I actually lost the name of my own Gorn captain. I just have Dino Boy written. Dino Boy. <laughs> captain Dino Boy. So right that's now, all I got. I guarantee you right now the ox crew is shouting in chat the name of the captain. <laughs> the name of this Meanwhile, captain. I would love to read for you very quickly something that I said that I would put in my notes. And it's been a few weeks, so I just want to remind you what was in my notes from last sure. session. It says, right here, and I quote, Dick is a technical term. Discuss. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, I remember that. All right, so I tell you what. Um, Wait, is it, oh, uh, shit. Is it Dr. Yugos? Yugos is actually the name of the doctor of the race that you guys discovered. Okay, well, yeah. Dino Boy, have. then. That's all I got. <laughs> it's not really relevant right now anyway. He's been removed. He has currently been removed by the plot because he has been captured and imprisoned and transferred to the USS Thunderchild to be incarcerated back on Narendra Station for questioning. Um, the USS Ross met up with the uh, with the USS Thunderchild uh, and did a prisoner transfer because the the Thunderchild was actually on its way out after finishing some operations out in deep space. Is headed back to Narendra Station. Um, the takeaway, though, is that this Gorn pirate captain knew who Azuri was, knew Azuri by name, and knew Azuri's role in taking down the standing organization known as the Orion Crime Syndicate. 
an organization that apparently cast the die and threw all of the chips on the table to ally with the Dominion during the Dominion War and didn't end up so well for them. They didn't bet on the right number when it came to that war, and it cost the Orion Syndicate quite a bit. Um, that Gorn, now removed from custody of the USS Ross, has freed up the USS Ross to go and explore its first contact mission, as well as return the scientists that they rescued from this station. Um, it's been two days since the events at the Particle Fountain and a full day since the last prisoner transfer, and you guys are en route to their home planet, named their planet is called Planet Jataran, J-A-T-E-R-A-N. Or in their language, they pronounce it Jataran. Um, it's very close by, it's in a neighboring sector, the Neo sector, which is named after a star cluster that can be found in this sector. Um, and just as a quick reminder, the race, they are called the Jashashian. <laughs> which kind of makes you just want to go shush, 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 shush. But they're called the Jashashian. And they are uh, humanoid, um, roughly the same height as humans. They have a very sort of, I don't want to I would say like a paper-like texture to their skin, and, which is like almost a bright yellow. And the edges of their faces are outlined in these beautiful glossy black onyx platelets like bone platelets that line their jaws that line their nose um, that kind of arc out from underneath their uh, like cheekbones um, their hair is like this glossy black that can be styled in many different ways according to, from what you can see of the scientists it looks like they all have sort of a ritualistic way of ponytailing or shaving their head um, there seems to be some kind of indication with the way they style their hair and some of the markings on the sides of their head that indicate not only what their rank is, but what their accomplishments are, um, including the scientists who actually you have learned in this time period, they actually tattoo uh, their accomplishments on the left side of their head in what looks like sort of a crescent arc, like it's almost following half of the arc of like maybe a moon or a planet rising above a horizon and setting again. Um, you guys have since learned that Shashian like to use tattoo tattoos it's it's an old practice but they've never given it up um it's sort of like uh, a way of acknowledging their life cycle and the accomplishments through their life cycle um it's been a very fascinating uh 24 hours on the uss ross um they are hungry 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 for knowledge they were openly willing to share all of the data that they collected from the particle fountain which by the way has revealed the Jashashian race apparently has a technology that is capable of anticipating years in advance when and where a particle fountain could possibly form. This is tech that the Federation does not have um, and has become a keen interest. Um, Admiral April Eber has told you, um, Captain, that this has... The Federation is very interested in learning more about this. Um, the underlying basic science necessary to detect those kind of subspace disruptions that far in advance, leading to this sort of applied technology, itself will be delightful to our science officer to behold. Yeah, the, the, uh, the applications of that kind of technology is far-reaching. It could be anything from looking into deep space to find other celestial phenomenon to having advanced sensors that could detect cloaked vessels. They are very interested in finding out how the Jashashian do this. <laughs> um, 
you guys are about about 45 minutes as you're walking out of your uh, ready room, Captain. Um, stepping out onto the bridge, you arrive just in time to hear uh, Vryn look up from the station saying, we'll be arriving at the planet uh, Jataran. He looks at you kind of questioningly. Jataran, Captain, uh, in about 30 minutes. Thank you, Lieutenant. You're welcome. And then he just glances over uh, at the moment he says, you're welcome, Captain. And then he stops and says, I can see you side-eyeing me. As he glances over to the science officer to his right. It's a Jatteren, actually. Jat, Jat, wait, there's no A. No, 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 it's J-A-T-E-R. E-R. But it's, but it's said Jatteren. Are you trying to get me in trouble? If I go down there and I say their name wrong, I if, mean, I get, if I get disintegrated, what? it's on you. It's on you. You know, you know what? Yes, if you get disintegrated, that's on me. You don't seem disturbed by that. I should hope both of you will check in with the robust documentation provided by our ambassador and familiarize yourselves with all facets necessary to make this a successful first contact, including pronunciation. Yes, yes Captain. Captain. Scared him up a little bit. I'll walk off. Yeah, (laughs) under his breath, you just hear him saying, "You got us into trouble." (laughs) Um, (laughs) nothing to say to that. Um, Ambassador Olin, Majanil has been. I would say the past 24 hours have been really exciting because not only have you met a very friendly species, but this is your first major first contact mission. Indeed. I think uh, when I discovered the whole tattoo thing, I immediately introduced them to the Pacific Islanders of Earth. Oh. And their their whole telling stories with tattoos uh, thing as well to kind of help establish you know, kind of a common uh, thing between what is familiar to me uh, and could be uh, a link between our, some of our shared cultures. I also, yeah, that's kind of one of the first things that I show them. Um, But yeah, I've been busily studying. uh, I've actually taken a really keen interest in their language since it so foiled me when I tried to to uh, deal with it on their space station, I've been learning as much of that as I possibly can, and really been diving into like the linguistics and and the because it reminds me so much of of uh, the very first time I I started studying in Japan and and had access to like a completely different type of of writing and speaking, and so that's my my uh, my language nerd has been uh, activated uh, activated pretty hmm. hard. Uh, throughout this process and I've been enjoying it a lot and they're so kind and and uh, they really like patience and patience really likes them um, and so yeah of course I mean patience loves everyone but uh, I think I think she's been getting along pretty swimmingly with them as well so yeah. okay um, so you are, are hard studying right now um, your data pad everything that you've been able to process you're having a rare moment of time off as you're trying to quietly assimilate as much knowledge as you possibly can before arriving at this at this planet. Calm down, Sam. <laughs> you use that word. You know what it means. You know what it 
<laughs> so as you're trying to, to as you're trying to absorb all of this information, um, you uh, you've been having it's it's a rare moment of quiet, followed by I would say you've had a rare moment of like a thirty minute stretch of quiet, which is the first like moment of quiet you've had in the past forty eight hours because of all of the conversation you've been engaging in. Um, and at about that point, there is a chirping sound through your communicator. Yes. Sorry, is this is this the ambassador? It sounds like the ambassador. You recognize Solon's voice on the other end. Oh yes, this is the ambassador. How can I help you, Solon? Sorry, I usually use a console to do this. I don't like to wear a communicator around the ship. Don't tell the captain. It's something I'm trying to get better at. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, uh, yes? I thought maybe you'd want to come down to 10 forward. We have, our guests are down here. Um, are they causing any disturbances or trouble? They don't seem to be causing any trouble, but they seem quite confused and the crew is doing the best they can to make them accommodated, but it seems like I'm what's a good way of saying this? We might need a telepath down here. Are you there? I'm here. Yes. Uh, sure. I will. I will be there momentarily. You sure you don't want the captain for this? Uh, the captain or anyone, really. Um, I thought you were the first person to ask. Are you busy? I can certainly. Uh, ask I'm, I'm not. I'm not busy. I, I'll. I'll. I'll be. I'll be right down. Uh, very good. Solon out. <clears throat> uh, Neil to Captain Sol. This is Captain Sol. How may I help you? Um, uh, Solon just asked me to come down to 10 forward to help clear up what seems to be some sort of miscommunication with the Jashashia and members, I guess, of the crew. I, I don't exactly know what's going on in 10 forward, but, um, I, I would appreciate perhaps some backup. Understood. I'm on my way. Thank you, Captain. Uh, I will see you there. All right. Okay. Uh, patience. Um, we are going to tend forward. <laughs> All right. So a few moments later, you arrive in tend forward about the same time behind you as you are uh, walking down the corridor towards tend forward. You actually see, uh, or you hear rather the of the turbo lift doors down the corridor, turning just in time. As you're approaching these beautiful wooden paneled glossed doors to 10 forward, you see behind you at the end of the corridor, Captain Sull emerging from the uh, turbo lift. Oh, Ambassador Morgan Neal, Ambassador Patience. Uh, Captain Sull, I don't think I've ever heard anyone call her that before, but I don't, I don't mind it. That's it's really rather good. Um, Anyways, uh, yes, I don't exactly know what I'm walking into there, but um, Solon specifically requested a telepath. Um, anyways, uh, yes, if you wouldn't mind 
Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I defer to you in all manners diplomatic. I of course. Of course, of course. Okay. Uh, here we go. In we go. All right, the two of you step in. Um, a lot of the crew immediately acknowledging uh, the captain as they walk in the door with the ambassador, so the two of the highest ranking people on the ship. But it is also worth noting that Tin Ford on the USS Ross is slightly larger than it is on a standard Galaxy class. This, again, being a Ross class ship, is built to accommodate diplomatic, diplomatic functions. And as a result, you guys have a multi-tiered ramp system where there are multiple layers going up, sort of like almost, if this place had its tables and chairs cleared out, it could sort of form something of uh, like a, an auditorium or uh, like an area where theater could be done. Um, right now, however, it is a partially full 10 forward filled with all of the sounds and clanking noises of conversation happening. Um, there is a crowd that has started to gather around one of the tables, um, not surrounding a table, but near one of the tables as they're listening to one of the Jashashia, Dr. Yugos actually give uh, an explanation of some of the things that they found in the particle fountain. You see a couple of officers um, are standing by and the, the, the Jashashia are, you would seem Dr. Yugos is very into his his lecture right now. One of the other Jashashia scientists is just kind of listening, but not really as interested in what he is saying so much as what's out the window, which is, of course, Warp 7. <laughs> um, something that they have not seen very often. Not that you can tell what warp you're going, but to see a ship of this immensity and scale and the technology at work is really kind of blown the minds of some of the other scientists. Um, but as you approach the table, you hear that the scientist is this uh, Dr. Yugos seems like he's getting more and more frustrated because he's having trouble finding the right words. You notice that some of the universal translator is not picking up everything that he's saying. So every now and then you'll get a smattering of his native language on top of like these complex ideas that he's trying to communicate to the officers that are surrounding him. Um, as the two of you approach, you see the officers, even though they're off duty, they see you both approach and they stand at attention as y'all are striding up. Um, noticing that there is a sudden shift in the personality of the people he's talking to, Dr. Yugos kind of huh? looks behind him and goes, oh, and rises to his feet. Uh, 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 am, am, ambassador. Yes, correct. Very good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> ambassador. Uh, hello, and, and, and Captain uh, Sol. I was just uh, talking to your your crew um, uh, about uh, <laughs> subspatial anomalies, uh, specifically ones that uh, typically form within the, the fibers of subspace. Uh, of course, I, <laughs> it's a bit antiquated to call them fibers, really. We know now that they function more like waves. It's more like water, in fact. Um, in, in fact, <laughs> if you actually break it down, subspace in many, many ways actually functions more closely to the behavior of liquids, which mm. is strange and has made some of the currents in subspace quite predictable um, and others quite chaotic. <laughs> um, they don't seem to understand that. And he turns and <laughs> looks back as you see a few of the crew members um, kind of talking amongst themselves and looking back. Um, and then he turns back and says, uh, I've, I've had something to drink uh, called a root beer. Um, I'm, I'm very curious what kind of root this drink came from? 
Oh, the root is very specifically called the sarsaparilla root, or it's really a, a leaf and a root and a plant specifically, but it's actually been known to create quite a few delicacies on earth, uh, but very specifically this one. Have you tried it with ice cream yet? Ice cream? Oh, give me just a moment. And I think Olin like hurries over to Solon really fast and orders a root beer float for uh, the doctor okay. and comes back with it. <laughs> so you dash over to uh, the bar where you see Solon is uh, setting down a couple of glasses and they look at you as you approach and they lean forward and says, you brought the captain down here, huh? Uh, well, yes, of course. Well, the captain is sociable, so I'm... Sure, they're going to have a fun time. I was mostly calling you down here because I get the impression what I was trying to communicate to you that I couldn't because they were within listening proximity is that I believe the good doctor is frightened. Maybe overwhelmed by all the people? Probably. I, see. I think the technology, the people, and if I didn't know any better, I might say that your doctor is probably feeling the pressures of being the one that made first contact with an alien species of vastly superior interstellar travelers, rescuing them from a bunch of lizard creatures in the middle of deep space near a particle fountain. I'm sure that's a report that's going to be intimidating to write up and a lot of questions waiting for him back at home. I see. Well, I appreciate that assessment. Um, let's see if we can get them started on this root beer float and then I will find a way to classily extricate him from the situation. Glad I could help. Of course, thank you. Slides you a drink. Today, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, slides a root beer and says, you wanted this one with ice cream? Yeah, vanilla if you don't mind. Vanilla. And while this is all happening, Azari, what are you doing? I am creating calm as <laughs> the captain can nice. do. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I'm doing it while engaging the doctor in his field of study and asking him questions of how these findings fit into the larger body of work, how this fluidic model of subspace fits into the notion of fluidic space as a discrete entity and whether they've had any research in that. I'm trying to get him relaxed the way one relaxes any nerd by engaging them I in the topic keep of talking. <laughs> and also just okay so your mention of fluidic space immediately grabs his attention and says we've had theories that such a thing existed but we haven't had any evidence and it, I, I don't know how they might be connected I'd certainly see that subspace behaving like like fluids behave <laughs> in their own particular environment but i don't know if the correlation is literal unless you're suggesting that there literally is a fluidic space in the universe oh i should very much get my chief science officer to commune with you then because we've only very recently had some interesting findings including beings who could exist there uh, you're not joking with me right now this I've isn't never joked does your species not joke? Well, we aren't all alike, I'm sure. Ah, I, I'm, I'm acquainting myself. I, I understand that the Vulcans do not like to joke very much. Fascinating people. 
Some of them do. And I look over to Solon. <laughs> Solon is just over there uh, nodding to you as uh, Olin is coming walking back. Um, real quick, we're going to cut to uh, a chirping sound outside the counselor's office. Um, it's literally the last. Uh, it's. I'm sorry. It's the. It is the. Uh, Do I have an appointment? Yes. This is outside your normal duty hours. Um, it's with a very special. <laughs> it is with a very special uh, patient, who uh, who you have been seeing just for the past two days now. Um, but when he shows up, um, this is usually before. This is. This, considering the time of day right now, it's really early in your command shift. And at warp right now, you can take these kind of, you can make accommodations in this regard, especially because, uh, XEO, you have the remarkable capacity of literally jumping from place to place as needed in the ship. Um, but as there's a chirping sound at the door and the door comes sliding open, um, you see our good professor uh, walking into the room, um, steps in, kind of like wringing his hands a little bit as... Uh, he looks around. Um, Wellix is still Please trying to. Come in. What's that? Oh, Wellix. It's Doctor Wellix. Yeah. He's uh, he comes stepping into the room and he's kind of wringing his hands and says, "I hope you don't mind. I I made this appointment today. Uh, I understand that you only make special considerations, and I apologize if this was outside your normal." Commander Routine, I thought it might be a good idea to have a conversation. No, please, by all means, would come in. I must ask, are your appointments with Dr. McCrell not up to what you expected? No, no, the uh, the doctor's quite quite fine. The doctor's fine. I'm, um... I'm just... feeling like, um... Maybe I should do both, if that's acceptable. Entirely acceptable. Thank you. May I sit down? Very normal practice to get two. Yes. Yes. Was the chair last time adequate? Yes, it's fine. Yes, of course. It's fine. And you see he slides into a seat and he just says, I am... I've, I've been having dreams lately. <clears throat> and uh, I don't... I, I, I never survive. Um, I... Uh, I don't know how to say this. My... My dreams, they, they start... Sometimes I'm wandering the corridors of the Ross and everything is empty and sometimes I'm I'm back at home but they all end the same it's um, it, uh, commander well counselor I uh, this is not easy for me my people are taught please just call me whatever you like <laughs> a few years ago 
few years ago, I would have thought <laughs> I would have thought somebody was insane to suggest that I would be taking a counseling meeting on board of a Federation starship with a hologram. Let alone two? <laughs> Let alone two. I'm, I'm frightened. I, uh, I know I'm dying. And it, I can feel it now. I'm dreaming about it now, and I know that it's coming, and I know Dr. McCrell is doing what she can, but I know that things are still different. They're still unknown. Not even I know exactly what's in that computer chip that they put in our heads. I... I don't know exactly how to begin, except to say that, Counselor, I... My family is safe, so long as it is never known that I'm alive. And the last time you and I spoke, you... rather harshly... made me realize that I don't want to die. And now I'm having nightmares. And I'm suddenly feeling the impulse to give up my old, my old ways. And Sorex is dead. Sorex is dead and I now have to be Wellix. And Wellix doesn't want to die. Wellix is not a Romulan who well, Alex is not a Romulan at all. I have to be this new, this new person that doesn't, doesn't have a country, that doesn't have a government to swear on dying fealty to. I don't, <laughs> I can't look at another species like humans and think of myself as superior anymore because I'm living amongst them and dying amongst them. I don't, I don't know who I am anymore. What do I can understand why that feels like a lot. Well, I would say that there are many steps and many things. That was quite a lot of feelings and quite a lot of new discoveries that you are finally coming to terms with. I do not believe that you have to strip your entire identity away from yourself, but if you want to rebuild, you have to accept yourself now. And I'm very... I know it probably feels a lot worse, but I'm glad you are finally accepting what you have now. And that it has nothing to do with your past, but what you want your future to be. Because I do believe you have a future. Dr. Willix. And I don't believe you have nothing. This ship is taking care of you. These people. Do you... Do you know what the Federation will do with me? This can't be a permanent fixture. I'm obviously an intelligence asset. 
No, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't need to know. It doesn't matter. I cannot answer that anyway. I'm simply a counselor. Yeah. Tell me more about these dreams. Is there a recurring theme aside from your death? Yes. I can't. I can't understand why. But I keep hearing a. It's a voice that's saying the words. Um, and at that point, he says something that the Universal Translator uh, is actually, it's a Romulan word that the translator kind of has trouble picking up. Your database is able to extrapolate its intended meaning, but it's one of those words that in a, in a, like, you know how in Klingon, sometimes they speak Klingon in front of you because there really isn't no universal translation of, of the concept they're trying to convey. Um, the, your data core essentially extrapolates, he says the words Nova ghost and just says. Um, Nova or Nova? N-O-V-A, like a supernova. Um, he it. said, um, I don't know if they belong together or if they are separate, but every time I die in my dreams, I, I hear those words every time. How are you passing away in your dreams? Just suddenly out of nowhere, are you attacked? I'm always pulled into space. It feels like a bulkhead will open up suddenly and I'm just sucked into space, into the void. Hmm. Every time. And every time I see my home spiraling away from me or the Ross flying away without me and debris everywhere and I'm choking and I wake up choking. Well, I, I do have a couple of tips I can actually help with that. The next okay. time you're asleep, I want you to follow my instructions very carefully. For the next few days, I want you to keep something in your pocket. Right now, in person, I want you to keep something in your pocket. And while you're having this dream, or any dream from this point forward, I want you to look in your pocket. See if you can find that object. And if you cannot, because you won't be able to. You'll know you're in your dream, and I want you to be able to... It's at least a start to take some of the panic away that you are in a dream. And it is not happening. And from that point forward, you might be able to change some of it. You can start taking control back of your mind. It's very clever, Counselor. I'll do that. I, th I think I should see the doctor now. I think my appointment is soon. Thank you for your time. No, 
Of course. I, my door is always open. And I'm glad that your appointments are going well. And as many sessions as you need with as many people as you feel comfortable are at your disposal. I'm alarmed by how wrong my kin are about you and the Federation. And without another word, he lowers his head and steps out into the hallway where you see two secure guards immediately flank him as he calmly walks. The door closes behind him. Hmm. Personal log. <laughs> yeah. How many times has he come into my office thus far? This is the first time he has voluntarily Since... asked for an appointment. Um, yeah. Aside okay. from the last time you spoke to him, this is really like he's been he's been attempting to find a time in your schedule, and this was you had this yeah. was just like he just needed a few minutes. He was able to finally get some time with you this morning. Even though it's not your standard duty shift. Yes. All right. Personal log, keep... <sighs> Stardate. Blah, blah, blah. These are so <laughs> difficult. I don't know. These are pretty difficult. <laughs> My appointments with Dr. Wellex have become more than one. And the reports I've been getting from Dr. McCrell have been incredibly helpful and informative, and I believe she is doing an incredible job. But I feel the more that this individual believes their mind is deteriorating, we're going to be getting different versions of him quite frequently. We should chase that as much as possible. And make sure that the parts of him he wants to be on the forefront of him are the ones that he was chasing today. I believe there's definitely so much there. So much. All right, enough talking to myself. Um, uh, and personal log. Do I have any more appointments? <laughs> oh, first contact day. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> Red and out the door. <laughs> you dematerialize right out of your your room. Um, back down and ten forward. Uh, a cup of ice I, cream. I send a, re a quick report. To I send one quick a report down to Dr. McCrell for it. Oh, okay, so McCrell knows. All right, cool. Thank you. <laughs> I thank you very much. Okay. Um, so we'll do a quick cutscene to a, a, a very large root beer float. The sound of glass on the top surface of a table just clink and sliding over in front of the, the good doctor. Uh, he stares down at it and says, I... This is the same drink I had before? This... 
You're muted, Aki. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the root beer pot is the same. Uh, what is different is that we have added a, a wonderful earth delicacy, possibly my favorite, called ice cream, which is a, a frozen treat. It's cold. It's quite sensational. So uh, give, give it a whirl. And if you don't like it, that's fine. But uh, I find it to be very relaxing and lovely to eat. Weren't you going to warn him about the potential for brain freeze and fast? Oh yes, please don't eat it too fast. Slowly does it. Brain freeze? Um, you mean it... An idiom. It's not actual uh, fast oh. food. <laughs> of course. And to be perfectly honest, your, uh, your physiology might be able to handle it better than human physiology. I know. Or I might be even more sensitive and therefore we warn Correct. you. So yes. Cross-cultural exchange necessitates a certain sort of... Forewarning. <laughs> um, takes down, scoops up some of the ice cream out of the top of the root beer, and he goes... Touches the spoon with his fingertip and says, It's cold. You eat your food cold? Some of it, yes. This is what we call a, a dessert. It's something... Yes, after a main meal. And a lot of our desserts do tend to be cold. Not all of them, but quite quite a few. Um, he nods and slowly puts the spoon in his mouth. And as he does, outside the window of Tin Ford, you see the starfield go as the Ross begins to leave warp. Just as you hear the, the chiming on overhead, uh, Captain Sold to the bridge, we've arrived at the Jataran se- sector. Uh, system. Uh, J- Jataran? Jatterin system? It's Jatterin, yes, that's it. <laughs> You'll have to excuse me, Doctor. Ambassador. I'm needed on the bridge. I'll see you shortly. Of course. He nods to you as the doctor just kind of like you see this this curious this curiosity on his face as he's kind of rolling the ice cream around in his mouth and it's like Interesting. <laughs> I'm interesting. Hmm. <laughs> if it's not for you, that's absolutely okay. You do not have to grin and bear it. I think I'll stick with the, without the cream brain freeze. And it slides it across the table again. Um, up on the bridge, the doors open, um, and you see Exio materializing just as you're arriving on the bridge, uh, Captain. Just. just and you see, uh, coming up onto the view oh, screen... hello, Captain. <laughs> Commander. Honestly, Lieutenant, you had 30 minutes to practice. Uh, yes, Captain. I... It's... It's LeCat, Captain. She keeps telling me to say it wrong. Are you sure? I, I feel like that's probably true, Captain, yes. And, and, and if you ask LeCat, I'm sure that she would confirm that. How does the underside of that shuttle feel, Lieutenant McCat? <laughs> Who, uh, me? Yes, Captain? What? <laughs> Either way, no matter whose fault it is about pronunciation, please do get it right. First contact does very much matter, Lieutenant, and it can go poorly. Let's see He's, if it doesn't. He swivels in the chair to, to turn towards the direction of the command chairs, and he just says, Captain, am I, am I going to be expected to be going on in the away missions for the first contact? 
it's very likely that we may be shuttling back and forth, in which case we'll need a pilot. I will Besides, start. I don't want any of my senior staff to be underprepared. We may well bring dignitaries aboard our ship, and I should expect our chief con officer to be there and be presentable. Right. I'll I'll get that name down. Jat Jatterin. 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 I have every Jatterin. faith in you. Jatterin system. Uh sector. System. Jatterin system. Neo sector. It's named for the star cluster, remember? Yeah. Uh, yes, Captain. Absolutely. Okay. And you see he rubs his eyes a little bit and goes back to the <laughs> to the helm. I look to Exio. Uh, where are we in the timing of the shift? Uh, it's early. It's 1100 hours right now. Hmm. Close to. Hmm. I look to that I tired fatigue that the lieutenant is doing, and then I look to the commander. <laughs> Just the, how do we feel about our pilot seeming a little bit off and draggy <laughs> kind of look. Okay. And openly calling out one of his fellow mm -hmm. <laughs> on the bridge mm -hmm. in front of said command staff. You'll get yeah. even later. Don't worry. <laughs> Is the face I give you. <laughs> yeah. So we both make a note. I you think. both have a conversation with your face muscles <laughs> and, and there's a sort of nod of acknowledgement between the two of you as you glance back over to Vren who just kind of like, sh you see him kind of rolling his shoulders for a second and just kind of gets into po better posture as he's navigating. Ha um, May I just quickly check the log? How, how many hours has he been on shift? How many hours has he been on shift? Mm -hmm. Um... Correct. It, it would appear that he is he is meeting his shift hours just fine, and that the other shifts are taking over for him when he leaves. So there's nothing to indicate in his duty shift that anything has changed about him. His like how many hours he stayed up when what he's about going his to bed. Sims? What's is that? Is he in flight sims? Is he in the holotech? Uh, what hours what, was he working in there? You want to? So are you? So you're basically bringing up. The logs of the holodeck? I'll... I think I, as as I see my commander working, say it, mm -hmm. ask that of her okay. uh, as, as a soft. Okay. <laughs> kind of lean over and ask Exio, how many hours has he been spending in the holodeck? Has he been in the holodeck? Where... Why is he just so tired then? <laughs> um... Yeah, Exio, if you want to access those those files, um, that's totally, <laughs> that is absolutely within your purview if you want to find out if he's been in the holodeck. I would. Um, I, I, I want to do a quick uh, fact check with you. Lieutenant okay. Prawl asked to speak to me um, after um, uh his the Klingon encounter that he was very uncomfortable with, correct? That was Prawl, or was that Vren? That was Vren. That was Vren. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Has he... Have I had meetings with him since that moment out of game? No, he has, he has not I don't contact. believe so. He's, he, has, he has put himself in your schedule and canceled an appointment three times. Great. Okay. 
um, which he is free to do so. Um, okay, uh, I'll check the logs now. I just wanted to know if there was any other information that, that sure. I might have that I could give the captain yeah. without. Um, so yeah, just check check um, activity logs of, of... I don't want to know what he's doing. That feels like an invasion of privacy, but just if he sure. was... Um, if he's clocking too many hours doing some other activity that might be hindering his performance on duty. Um, yes, he has been logging quite a few hours in the holodeck. Anytime he's got free time, he's in the holodeck, apparently. <laughs> um, his last venture into the holodeck was last How many night. collective hours? Um, since the departure of the USS Ross from Narendra Station, he has spent um, pretty much up to four and a half to six hours in the holodeck every time he is off duty. So he he is basically, and he has moved his shift around. He, he has moved around his, uh, his booking time for the holodecks based on when it's least in use. So he'll, he'll book during gamma shift and then get up and go spend three or four hours before his shift starts on the bridge. A video game habit. All right. Um, huh. It's a lot. Animal Crossing. Um, you, uh, uh, that's crossing. a lot. That's a lot. Okay, so <laughs> he's playing Animal Crossing. Um, in the you see, sort of, uh, ex ex uh, you see across Exio's face, um, Captain Cell, the the sort of information um, entering and go across her face is, is is fully the 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 facial expression goes from hearing the information to huh and um that's probably all the information you need to know that there is quite a lot of hours and i just sort of hold up um my hand of like five hours <laughs> a day <laughs> I only say the words a day, though. That's an extraordinary amount of time in the holodeck. I was going to ask if he's been playing D and D. <laughs> Five hours. So, and he'll he'll according to the logs, he'll break it down. So sometimes he'll spend two hours, and then he'll come back for another two hours, and then he'll call it a day. Then he'll go in for the next day for an hour, and then do a four-hour scent, and then another hour somewhere else, and call it a day. But it is sporadic. He is spending a lot of time in the holodeck. And apparently, according to the logs, he has shared the holodeck with other crew members at the same time, like at gatherings and whatnot. If they have like a, uh, like, it just seems like he, anytime the holodeck is being accessed, Grin seems to be trying to get in on that. He's doing a lot of socializing, or is it mainly trying to be alone in the holodeck? Most of the programs he runs, according to the logs, are, are solo. They are not with other people. But if there, it looks, what you can gather, XEO, just from looking at this log, is that if there is an addiction forming here to the holodeck, it looks like he's, if, if, it looks like he tries to book at the same time all the time. But if, it, if he can't get access to the holodeck because the crew is already using it, then he'll find ways to incorporate himself into their programs so that he can use it with them, according to the logs. So he'll be oh, like, dear. oh, you guys are having a beach party? Hey, I've never been to a beach party. Kind of like, can I come along? And those kinds of things. 
Kind of like inviting himself to the movie theater when <laughs> a bunch of friends are about to go kind of deal. Understood. Yeah. Okay. Um, I start writing up a report. Okay. Uh, a personal one. Um, keep, you know, keeping track of everyone's mental health and if they are uh, possibly hindering themselves from performing at the top of their duty, that is an important part of my job. So I'm making a report so as to per more precisely put into words what the captain may need. Okay. Sounds good. So, uh, I... so... <laughs> Commu uh, that communicated to to the five days and, or five five hours a day, and then you would see me immediately start making a report on the data pad. I lean over once more and murmur, "We need Helm awake. Reaction time matters." Help him out, please. Hmm. Yes, Captain. Has his All shift right. just started? Yeah. Uh, we're only a few hours into the shift, yeah. Yeah. That was my first thought. Are we tired or are we at the end? But no, it's oh. early. That's why. It's early. <laughs> it's early. Yep. Um, by the way, um, LaCat, I've got is some... There, is there... Sorry, sorry. Um, um, are there sort of um, the equivalent of like an? I imagine in sort of emergency scenarios, there has to be a way to test if a person is capable of of um, performing their job at a specific. Do we have like the equivalent of a sobriety test that is the equivalent of reactionary time tests that um, uh, that there may be something of like hey, you seem off today. Can you complete this test to prove that you are at the mental capacity to perform your duties at top notch? I mean, you throw yes. throw a comm badge at the officer and if they have the reaction time to catch it, they're out. <laughs> yeah. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I had a friend that served on a nuclear class attack sub and that's kind of, that's they, when they checked in with each other to see how they were doing, it was little things like that <laughs> that they would they would do. I don't really particularly want to throw something at my pilot as he is on duty. The um... <laughs> cat's like, I don't mind. <laughs> Need me to scare him for you? <laughs> or, you know, just hold a friendly conversation. I'm going to to observe him for the next 10, exactly 10 minutes and log how many times he yawns, how many times he pays, doesn't pay attention, how many times he interacts with other staff as a way to distract himself from his current job and I will assess after 10 minutes. Okay. Um, on that- Basically how many times he bothers LaCat. <laughs> okay. I'm curious, is your gauge, if he doesn't bother LaCat very much, it means there's something wrong? Or is it the other way around? Oh, you're muted. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, he 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 does tend to interact with her quite well. I imagine that they mm -hmm. are building a bond of friendship that is understandable, sure. and it is okay to have you know uh, moments of reprieve to build those relationships. However, um, he he's 
he is openly doing it more in front of the captain this morning. And so I want to see how much he is breaking protocol deliberately in front of command staff in this moment by being quite careless. Um, I imagine because of his lack of sleep. So I'm counting all of those things as separate markers that I will add up as a grand total of whether or not he's being dismissed today. Okay. Yeah, because um, the, the remarks are disinhibition. Like it's just thought mouth, which ha mm -hmm. happens when you exactly. get tired. It's dropping focus, which happens when you're tired. It's all of the Vren, but none of the Vren control. <laughs> Vren control. Um, okay, so you observe him for the next 10 minutes. Um, as you all are entering the system, you come out of warp on the edge of the system. Um, I have sensor information for you, science officer LeCat. Um, the Jadarin system is, this is a single star system. It is in its main sequence right now. And the star itself is roughly 0.5 times larger than Earth's sun. So it's a little bit larger than Sol. Um, there's only one class M planet in the entire system, very similar to our solar system. Um, there are two non-interstellar bodies that sensors are detecting at long range. Uh, one is a class two comet, and the other is a space station orbiting uh, the third planet, which apparently is, or I'm sorry, the second planet, which apparently is uh, the homeworld planet Jadarin itself. Uh, the world itself, judging from long-range sensors, you can already get some basic information about this world. Um, the first thing that's very notable is it is quite a bit larger than, uh, than the standard M-class planets that you guys uh, catalog these days. Um, it's considered a, an extra large. <laughs> it's a big boy. Um, this world is, uh, has a, circumfer a circumference that's relative to Saturn. So it is multiple times larger than Earth. Um, it is a very large M-class planet. Um, according to long-range sensors, only half of the planet has been colonized. The other half is mostly uh, rocky, mountainous regions from what you can tell, but you are reading a lot of trace elements that are very familiar to the sensors and the database. But you're also detecting a lot of crystal formations that are probably on this planet as well, indicating that there is a lot of tectonic activity um, and that it looks like a lot of the mountain ranges on the, uh, on the upper hemisphere of the planet themselves might actually be made out of pure crystal. It looks like a lot of this planet itself is arid and dry. The average temperature is 35 degrees Celsius, which is not cold. That is in fact 95 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> Um, and that's the average temperature. So your Cardassian's probably gonna feel kind of comfy. Um, and anybody with Vulcan blood's gonna feel nice and comfy. Uh, the, the planet itself seems like it is mostly rocky and mountainous. It does have oceans. Um, the oceans have a surprisingly high, well, no, I should say a very unsurprisingly high salinity content, considering the amount of minerals that are probably on this world. Um, which would suggest that pretty much, it, it would suggest, judging from the mineral content of the planet itself, science officer, I would say that you can assume that even what would be considered inland fresh bodies of water are in fact heavily, heavily, like with heavy salinity ratings. Ratios would be very high. So 
um, there's actually sensors detecting that even inland bodies of water are actually quite inundated with salt. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, wow. Uh, lots of tectonic activity. Any like volcanic activity down there? Not volcanic activity. And in fact, uh, at this distance, you really can't detect anything of that specific. You'll be able to get okay. better readings once you guys are in orbit, once you're closing the distance, mm -hmm. which will be in the next 10 minutes. Um, Great. But you, also, uh, you can also detect a civilization. Oh, uh, right. A post-warp society of roughly 1.7 billion life forms. 1.7 billion. Oh, wonderful. And then how big does that space station look? It's comparable to the one that you all came across at the Particle Fountain. Great. About okay. the same size. Um, so it's about, it's about the, uh, close to, if not half the size of the USS Ross. Um, wonderful. I would like to relay the information to my captain. All right. Um, captain? <laughs> so you get the full scientific readout, Captain, as yeah. y'all are coming into range. Um, Let me know more as you find out about the mineral content of the crust of this planet. I'm very interested to find out what those crystal mountains are made of. <laughs> if they're anything like most places, a lot of silicon. You might be looking at quartz. quartz. And at that beautiful. moment, Prawl says, Captain. Thunder? And then there's this long stretch of quiet as you hear this. He's working the controls over the security station. And he just says, Commander. I don't know, Captain. For a split second, I thought I saw a vessel on sensors. And then it's gone about 60,000 kilometers behind us. Could be an echo. My instinct tells me it wasn't. Mm. All right. How can we try to get a better look without letting them know that we're onto them? Can we hide a probe in our ion wake, perhaps? Prawl swivels in his, or Vren swivels in his chair back to you and says, Captain, we could launch a probe at the comet and pretend like we're just scanning a comet. Ideal. Uh, if we can focus on Patreon emissions, I think. I think I see where you're going with this, Captain. You hear Vren, uh, or Prawl say, and he says, I'll start reconfiguring a torpedo. Uh, I'll start configuring the probe right now. Yes. First the latter. Hopefully we'll have no need of the former. <laughs> um, as you guys move closer and closer into range of the ship, uh, into the range of the, uh, the, the asteroid, rather, um, Vren says, I can put, that, I can put the uh, comet up on view screen if you like, Captain. It's got quite a tail. Well, Please do. <laughs> it's a comet. Class 2 comet has a nice tail that's about 16 kilometers long, so it's kind of moving at a very slow clip for a comet, but um, you do see that it has this sort of vibrant, molten, like green, blue, cobalt look to it that's luminescent. Um, at about that point, the doors of the bridge open, and the ambassador and the doctor step onto the bridge. Um, and you hear, uh, as, <laughs> as he steps onto the bridge, 
you see he just goes, oh, Orphan. He's big smile on his face. Orphan. I was wondering if I had a name. Dr. uh strides down the ramp from the turbo lift to the view screen, moving right past Vren, practically like up against the view screen. He goes, this is incredible. You can actually view space. Do you have uh, some kind of ocular sensor on the outside of your ship that allows you to do this? I give the a slightly guarded nod to Lacat of you are permitted to talk about that we have yeah. sensors and the basics of that. Oh, okay. wonderful. Uh, and so, yeah, I want to talk about, uh, <laughs> we, we have quite a few sensors that can do uh, that and a little bit more. Um, for one thing, we can get an up-close view of Orphan, you called him? Orphan, yes. Uh, yes. It, it, <laughs> We, we call it orphan. It's it's based off of our mythology. Um, our ancestors used to believe that this was um, one of the children of the gods that was left behind in the stars. That she, when she grew up, she remained behind to watch over us for when the day of the gods returned. It's an old story. I love that. Oh, I I uh, I, I love that, Jane. Stoic. <laughs> But she she's listening politely and nodding along politely. Um, can she'd like to show off a little bit? Can I uh, do a quick sensor reading and see what that like what the tail of the comet is made of, or like if there's any sure. specific like materials yeah. I can like find off the comet? That'd be let's great. Let's make a let's make it a roll so we can get yeah. some momentum going for you guys because we Love are it. into this session. We haven't rolled once, so. Um, I'm going to say this is going to be a reason science check with the help of the USS Ross, whoever wants to roll for the Ross. Um, I believe that's... Oh, wait. Never mind. Um, Xander, do you want to roll for the Ross? Since I can uh... if you want. Oh, okay. Oh, sure. Who, whoever wants to roll for the Ross. I just know whoever that's going to be kind of quiet over there. Whoever has the sheet. <laughs> you don't have the sheet? I have the sheet. I believe, Sam, you had it, too. I just don't have the sheet. I have oh, okay. the sheet, and I'm happy to roll for Ross. That said, let's give our chief engineer some fun. Yeah. Okay, no. I've got it here. Go for it, Xander. <laughs> All right. Okay, so, so what is the ship rolling, then? Computers. Uh, the ro- yeah, it's a standard sensor check. Uh, sensors engineering, maybe? Mm-hmm. Sensor science on us. It would be sensor, oh, sensor science, science. Yeah. And what's the difficulty? A difficulty zero. Great. Because I got three successes. All right. And the Ross adds one. All right. Four, so momentum. four momentum. Add four momentum to you guys' pool. We finally got some momentum for you guys. It's going yeah. to be good. Um, you scan this asteroid, this the comet. Immediately, the sensor information comes up as you see this little window sort of pop open off the side and slide over and give a full analysis of this class two comet. And it's all of the typical things you would find in a comet. Lots of ice particles, hydrogens, like all these molecules that you normally see in a makeup of a lost piece of space rock that is just covered in this beautiful aura. And he's staring in wonder. He says, we, we have telescopes, of course, but to see it like this, this is... It's a <laughs> thing of legends. Um, oh, that reminds me. Telescopes. Captain, um... He turns and faces you and says, uh, my, my people actually have 
enough technology, uh, we have sensor equipment ourselves, we'll be able to detect the Ross right about now. Uh, if you'd like, maybe it would be best if I got in touch with them so there was no alarm. Yes. Do you have long-range communication protocols? We do. <laughs> it's going to be coming as a bit of a surprise from them. They weren't expecting to hear from me for another two weeks. Well, hopefully you'll be a friendly surprise. Uh, it should be interesting. We've managed to arrive before the message I sent across space is set to arrive. Um, we move fast. Uh, Ambassador, perhaps you could show them the communication station? I know you have usually taken over those duties on this bridge. Uh, of course, if you don't mind. And and I think when you, when when uh, Olin first came in, you will have noticed that they were uh, they had their fingers pressed to their temple as though they might have consumed a root beer float a little too fast. <laughs> Fighting the brain freeze. See, y'all are worried about Vren, but it's Olin you should be worried about right now. I'm the captain. It is within my capacity to worry about the entire crew Everybody. All right. Um, so right, yeah. it's. It's really, um, you basically bring up the communication station. With his help, you're able to actually locate the frequencies you need. They don't use the, they don't use subspace channels the way you guys use. Mm -hmm. It's literally like a more advanced version of radio, essentially. So cool. he gets on and taps the button as you open the channel and he just says, uh, this is, <laughs> this is Dr. Yugos of the Space Ring Observer. Uh, may I please speak to whoever is currently on duty shift right now? Hello, did you get Dr. Yugos? You hear from the other side. I'm sorry, is that, did I hear Dr. Yugos? Yes, uh, who am I speaking to? Uh, this is Marlis. Marlis, uh, thank you for being on duty shift. I know it's quite late where you are right now. I am... Uh, <laughs> This is very difficult to explain. Are you currently the um, the shift lead right now? Dr. Yugos, we weren't supposed to hear from you for another few weeks. Yes, no, I know that. Um, there is a lot to explain. Um, stand by. And he turns and looks back at you and says, I, I'm sorry, I actually am not very familiar with the protocols of communicating with my government. As a scientist, we usually relied upon the others for that. Um, um, I think it might be best if I get in touch with the High Regent. He's going to be the one to contact. Maybe if I can contact his office directly. Otherwise, I'm going to end up speaking to this child that's on the other end of the line. Um, do you happen to have a general location where we might be able to hail them? Uh, that way we can kind of more finely tune our our uh, communication to sort of pick people out if necessary. Right, right. So what happens over the next 10 minutes or so is a lot of awkward bouncing around and trying to find the person to talk to. But it's clear that when, Do when Dr. Yugos is reaching out, that he is very out of his element. The confidence that he spoke with down in 10 Ford about scientific and spatial anomalies has bled away to sort of like the socially awkward, uh, who's in charge and what do I say? Um, clearly not really used to dealing with high officials. However- 
What am I getting off of him? Uh, anxiety. He is very nervous right now. He's, uh, you're getting, he's feeling a lot of stress and pressure and it's resulting in a big spike of anxiety. Um, however, you do finally hear an administrator online and Dr. Yugas spends a good 10 minutes talking to them. The administrator asks a bunch of questions as to how Dr. Yugas is communicating with them right now and where he can be located. Um, suffice to say, this conversation goes back and forth in, for about a good part of 15 minutes as they start working through the, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you, so I need you to listen, kind of like conversation that starts to happen. Um, for expediency's sake, Dr. Yugas spends this time quietly, gently, and nervously convincing this administrator on the other end of the line that he is in fact in orbit and approach, or rather approaching orbit of the planet and that he has rescued survivors and that he is on board a starship, um, which leads to a bunch of questions. All of this comes to a head about 25 minutes into the encounter when the USS Ross begins to come in within uh, the orbit, orbital range of the planet itself, meaning the USS Ross actually comes into visual range of their orbital satellites and the scientists and astronauts that they have working above their planet, which, which causes an expedition to the uh, to conversation. It expedites things rather quickly. <laughs> and... Um, by the time the conversation ends, just so we don't have an hour of me talking back and forth to myself as a game master, um, what ends up happening is um, the USS Ross is asked very politely if it could remain on standby and they would like to retrieve their scientists immediately for questioning. Um, Dr. Yugos turns to all of you and says, that sounds reasonable to me. I am sure that they want to see that this is real and it's what they see and that we're not who you know, we are who we say we are. Would you like in the meantime for us to gather up your crew and have them prepare to depart the ship? That would be ideal. If me and the rest of the scientists could um, beam down to the planet, uh, I'm sure that would get the attention and I could arrange a meeting, perhaps between you and the high regions. Yes, I think this might actually be something that Dr. McCrell can assist us with. Uh, Marginal to Captain uh, to uh, Commander McCrell. Yes. <laughs> uh, I apologize because I am not entirely sure if this is the case, but I there is the is there are any of our Shashians still uh, in your sick bay, or have they all been released? Um, uh, a few of them. Yeah. Yes, there's a few here, just uh, not for any medical purposes, just um, exploring. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very good. Actually, I was wondering if you wouldn't be uh, opposed to helping us uh, to prepare them for departure because we have arrived at their planet and I think that since you're one of the first people that they met and had any real socialization with, they might trust you uh, and be more accommodating of you hurting them. Oh, her yes. Aha, yes. I'll bring them. Um, I'll have them meet you at uh, the transporter room. Yes. You'll be. They will be meeting with their their leader. I'm actually not going to be going down just yet. Yes, I'll bring them to their leader, Doctor Yuga Yugos. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Okay. Thank you right so now? much. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. 
All right. Yes. Um, and is that if that if that's given the go ahead? I'm mostly looking at. So Some of my getting... crew uh, is going to beam down until we have everything clear. I'm not going to split my crew with the people that I don't especially know. Okay. Uh, but with that precaution understood, we can move forward. Okay. McCrell and the scientist that you rescued from this station that apparently is called ring observer one or whatever it was that he blurted out in his nervous sort of just like this sputtering of anxiety it um, was called the space ring observer space ring I, observer yes uh so he gathers with a bunch of the other scientists and in the transporter room each of them kind of nervously beaming down one by one um we're gonna take our quick 10 minute break because it's eight o'clock so what we'll do is we'll take this quick break 10 minutes we'll come back and we'll get into the meat of the episode. Because now the first contact mission has begun. Um, also, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to, th this is sometimes in a Star Trek game, every now and then you'll come across scenes and things that are happening that make it kind of limiting. And I just want to give a big shout out and thank you to our engineer and our doctor for being so patient and lovely over there listening to our game. <laughs> it's, <all good. laughs> it's, it's like watching a movie. Yeah. We're enjoying it. <laughs> so so Sean was like, oh, that. oh, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be back in about 10 minutes. Don't go anywhere and we'll see you in just a bit. Welcome back to Clear Skies, everybody. Sorry about the uh, delay there. We had a little bit of a technical issue, but we're back up and running and everything's good good um the joys of remote streaming everybody <laughs> so let's go ahead and jump right back into tonight's game when we left off you guys had just established a connection with the governmental officials apparently of the civilization on this brand new world which you have been instructed to make first contact with it was a bit of an awkward first conversation but um it has been about 15 minutes since the uh, delegation, the people that you rescued, the scientists, beamed down to the planet. So um, you receive a sort of a receipt of delivery upon their arrival. Um, the scientists message back to you from the surface of the planet that they've arrived. McCrell, if I remember correctly, you went with them. Is that correct? No, you did not go with them. Okay. I, I, what? Yes, you looked like you were saying no. Oh, she I was, was, I was, I was unmuting the <laughs> microphone, sorry. I was actually uh, looking I, at Sam, who was shaking their head. I was, oh. I had explicitly said that I didn't want to send anybody from our crew onto the planet without having on their own. Right, right. Surrounded right, right. by a bunch of not us and with adequate, inadequate protection. Uh, I just herded them. I herded them. You got them down to the transporter pad. I that did. is actually pretty smart. So uh, the captain's not letting you go by yourself on a first contact mission down no. to the planet. That was not um, a good idea. <laughs> so, um, so right now you are basically being told uh, by the scientists that um, a meeting is going to be held immediately with the governmental delegation and to please stand by. Um, while you guys are establishing orbit, Vryn kind of, you see the planet move into the view screen. It's this beautiful, like, orange orb in space. You can tell just from the, from, from your altitude that the planet has largely mountainous as described with huge spaces of badlands and deserts, but lots of mountains that can be easily seen from space. Some of the peaks you probably would 
just from eyeballing it from the view screen, some of these peaks probably reach up to close to, if not beyond Everest size peaks, like huge mountains. Um, and it is visible from space. There is a, a refraction of light coming from some of these mountains, giving the surface of this planet almost a glittering look from some of these mountain ranges up in the Northern hemisphere. Um, when cloud cover passes over these like strips of like white cotton that have been pulled across the sky as they move beyond and out of the range of uh, your vision down below you just see this at first it almost looks like you're catching the light of the sun casting itself across a large ocean but it is in fact a mountain range with a high content of crystals um looks like it's causing this sort of like glittering effect almost this like glow and it's the entire upper uh, northern hemisphere of the planet on the easterly side, very far away from where the civilization is. And that's actually the next thing that you all notice from both sensor scans and visual looks is that this planet seems oddly lopsided. The civilization apparently has completely developed on one side of the planet. On the other side of the planet, you do see a couple of colonies and settlements, but as you go further and further to the east, nothing just rock and mountainous land. You are detecting a lot of life on the planet. Um, in fact, uh, I would say, where, did we lose Rave? <laughs> no, I'm here. Uh, oh. I, oh, there you I, are. I, was, I didn't want to interrupt you and I wanted oh, okay. to cross talk. Um, um, but no, I think Jane finds that very curious. And um, if, uh, when I can, I'd love to scan uh, and see exactly yeah. why this is so lopsided. To see if there's, I mean, let's let's begin simple. Are there is there any geographical reason that um, people would colonize only one side of the Earth and not the other? Let's start. Go ahead and make a reason science check with the assist from the USS Ross. Oh, really? Um, can I use my sensor focus? Your which one focus? My sensor focus. Uh, yes. Hey. And um, for Ross, right. what do you, what would you like to roll for? It's is it a sensors check? It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a straight up sensors check. So computer sensors, science. Okay, science. Yeah, yeah, but it's a success. Okay, two successes for me. Two successes. All right. Well, the difficulty is zero. Great. Um, I'm maxed out on momentum now. Great. I okay. might obtain an information depending on what I learn from here. So, here's what you learn. Mm -hmm. The farther you scan to the east of this planet, you see um, it's extraordinary because an M-class planet is defined by obviously its atmosphere, that it can support life. All these, all of these uh, things that sort of add up to what creates an M-class planet, you know what I mean, when it meets that criteria. Mm -hmm. But as you start scanning further and further to the east and where these mountain ranges become more and more mountainous, it's almost like the makeup of the planet begins to shift. It's almost like the easterly side of the planet is a class L planet <laughs> and the westerly side is a class M planet because as you scan closer and closer to the, to the east, um, the, the, or, the, the atmosphere begins to change. The environment begins to change so dramatically that it becomes only plant life, only plant life for miles and then nothing. The more you scan to the east until you reach the pinnacle-like point of the easterly hemisphere, and no particular point, but when you pass, you basically pass a threshold, and Lacat, yeah, 
when you reach the when you reach the end of your scan, the farthest east uh, hemisphere of the planet, um, there is no life at all, not even microbial. Um, can I? Uh, oh man, I have so many questions. Can I obtain one piece of information first? Yeah, spend the momentum. momentum. Um, Because my captain wants to know how much, uh, like the mineral makeup of those, uh, of the majority of the crystals down there. And I want to know how much quartz there is down there. Okay. Um, We also have floating momentum, so we're still maxed out just in case anyone's keeping track at home. You're right. This is why I'm cool asking the quartz question. So scanning, scanning the makeup of these mountains, what you're getting back is, is it's not your standard types of crystals. Um, they, okay. they do meet sort of the same, uh, in some ways, it looks like they meet sort of the same chemical composition as quartz. Um, mm-hmm. You can definitely see a lot of the similarities, but as your computer is reading out through this, uh, you're actually not detecting anything that would resemble any definable mineral that you have to compare to. Dang it, that makes it cooler. Yeah. Um, um, you right. are detecting you are detecting elevated lab, uh, like levels of hydrocarbons. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, um, it is it is just it, it just comes off like a compact mineral deposit of these crystal uh, formations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Um, I. Uh, I mean, while I'm doing these scans. Uh, Look at the chief tech. Da, go for tech. <laughs> um, hello, tech. Um, I'm currently <laughs> conducting a few scans on this planet. And, yeah, I can tell uh, by the uh, power drains. Don't think I don't see that, Lacat. I see he's trying to show off with our scanners. Irresponsible. <laughs> chief tech, this is our first contact mission. Do you know how cool this is? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, However, uh, while I'm busy doing this, I am worried about... uh, uh, Eric, quick question for you. Yeah. I do I know about the blip on the radar of the like thing? Yes, you're on the bridge. Right, fantastic. I don't know if Paul had said that as an aside to the captain or not. Um, So basically, I want to relay that information to tech and just basically be like, I might need some help keeping an extra pair of eyes, and I was wondering if you wanted to come join me. Do you think it's Romulan? Well, that's a very personal question. Well, uh, well I'm on my way, but uh, okay. Well, we'll unpack that later. Uh, tech, going <laughs> to the bridge. Here I go. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I want to continue looking at the planet, but um, uh, is, is it cool if I make one more roll? Yeah, what do you want to know? Okay. Um, basically, I, I guess I'm too far to like get any reads on the actual plants there. I'm, that's probably... No, you guys are in orbit. You can get any readings you need to now. Yeah. Shit. Okay, so I would love to get a reading on the plants, and I'd love to get a reading on the atmosphere to see if there's any change in atmosphere. Okay. It's like air um, quality. Don't even spin for that. That's something. That's an. Inf- that's a piece of information we've gotten from the scan, the initial scan. Okay. Um, air quality, it, nothing looks different about the air quality itself. The atmosphere is breathable. It is comparable to Earth's atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. It's very hot. So you imagine that anybody beaming down there who's not used to a, an arid a, an environment specifically like this one is probably mm-hmm. going to have some at least minor trouble breathing at first just because of how heavy the air is going to feel. Um, yeah. But it's also 
the, the planet um, for a planet that on the surface looks remarkably dry, it does have vast reservoirs of water running underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like the waters running underneath the surface are actually much lower in salinity content as well. So they mm. probably, so you're actually detecting with your sensors, you're detecting uh, extraordinary scales of limestone deposits underneath the cities and uh, living areas which functions as sort of a natural filter, um, making a lot of the underground waters. Uh, it, there's What you're detecting essentially, Lakat, to put it in simpler terms, yeah. is underneath the surface of the planet, there's probably oceans. Wow, okay. And um, and and what we're getting from those oceans is that the their, um, their saline level is like smaller. Or They're practically smaller. fresh water. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Um, and then I want to do one last scan on the plants just to ensure that, like, the basically the plants require X amount of uh, like saline water in order to survive. And then my my hypothesis here is that they're not getting that, and that's why plants keep dying. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So instead of jumping into the hypothesis system, I'll yeah. just say make this an information spend. Great. Maintain information spend. Yes. Go. Um, so. Um, after running the scans mm -hmm. and looking over the data and following the trails of like plant life and how it develops, mm -hmm. after a good 10 minutes of looking over the data, it's completely inconclusive. There is nothing, there's actually nothing to explain, nothing scientifically available that you've scanned that immediately explains why there is no life on the other side of the planet. Okay. Um, do, uh, can I relay that information? down to um, Ambassador Olin. Uh, everyone's up on the bridge right now. No one's oh, actually left the ship. The yeah. Then I want to go talk to Olin real quick. Okay. And relay this information to them. Olin's uh, sitting uh, side by the side of the captain at the moment. Uh, all right. I'm going to go. I, I walk over to Ambassador Olin. Um, Ambassador Olin, may I have a quick moment? If that's all right with you, Captain. Or be it from me. I mean, I don't mind having this conversation right here, quite honestly. I just wanted to share my uh, findings with Ambassador Olin. Um, so I, I go over what I find out. And basically what I want to say is, uh, well, according to all of that, I... I can't help but think that there's something else going on down there and you being far more better at diplomacy than I am. Um, I, if, if you could find out anything while you're down there, I would be really, really grateful because the science just does not explain what's going on down there. Understood. But, uh, I think I might have a better avenue for that than myself. Um, I'm not, I mean, I am scientifically inclined and I enjoy doing right. that. I just work, trust but... you. Of course, of course. I think uh, if the captain doesn't mind, we should also bring uh, Commander McCrell down there with us as well. Um, I feel I like she would captain. be a, a good proxy for you in this in this matter. Certainly, I mean, if we can't a... find something scientific offhand, there are two possibilities that come to mind. Something scientific on Hand, something a little more difficult to find that would require some scans or more careful research into the system, or that it is something sociological. Uh, in which case, 
our team will find it. So yes, I'm sure we can get a few tricorder scans here and there to send back up to you all gift wrapped. Lieutenant. Thank you, Captain. All right. All right. <clears throat> so we have some time before the contact happens uh, with the, sh- the the people down below. Um, as Dr. Yugos is currently trying to arrange a meeting with the government of this planet, um, what would you guys like to do? You have about an hour. Um, I will be back in the medical bay working on the chip for Dr. Wellix, trying to figure out a way to stop, uh, or at least slow down the deterioration of his brain. That's what okay. I'm doing. Okay, uh, so you're going to focus on that. And I, yeah, I was working with Chief Tech on this for a while, too. We were collaborating on the chip. That's what I've been doing in my spare time. Okay, great. <clears throat> That's it? Nobody else has a scene that they want to do? Yeah, sorry. Actually, uh, so I've been kind of called away from that uh, in what I was talking with LeCat for, uh, and I've sort of commandeered one of the main sensor suites uh, to devote to this project. It's not necessarily on the bridge, but it's um, somewhere like maybe an astrometrics lab or something like that. We have the modular Uh, laboratories. We could reconfigure them. Uh, We get to do it once per adventure. Oh, great. We would like to reconfigure them to this, uh, that makes science tasks relating to that uh, easier, as I recall. Yes, please. I will do that. I'll configure one of the the labs to this project of detecting this cloaked ship. And actually, um, as Tech is working, uh, he's converting this lab over and he calls over uh, Chief Tech to Dr. Wellex. There's a long pause. And then you hear, yes. I know this is a bit unusual, but could you join me in one of the labs? I'll send over the coordinates. It's just a technical thing. Let me inform my security detail. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Tell them uh, Chief Tech wants ya. <laughs> Very well. Um, about five minutes or so, and the doors open to the lab. Stepping into the room, you see Dr. Wellix, a trill male, um, looking quite befuddled, flanked by two or yellow shirt security officers who are staring at him <laughs> and making sure he doesn't make any sudden moves. He walks into the room and glances around and says, yes. So in that five minutes before he actually made his way down, I've also uh-huh. called the cat down to be on her way. I okay. knew that she would come after the fact. So okay. just to put that LeCat out. meets the cat's already there waiting. No, right, cool. Okay. LeCat's there waiting. Okay. <laughs> sure. I, thank you so much for, for joining us, doctor. I, uh, well, we have a bit of a problem with a cloaked vessel that may or may not be following us, and uh, the technology might be Romulan, and so I thought you might have an insight uh, as a Trill Doctor. You want me to help you try to locate a cloaked Romulan vessel? If that's within your capacity to do as a Trill Doctor, I would appreciate the help. Yes, the short answer is yes. Well, there's the tried and true methods of tachyon dispersion fields. What exactly have you detected a cloaked Romulan vessel? 
Or do no, you win? We thought we saw one, which I think might be worse. You see he gets slightly pale. Oh good, I see it's a problem for all of us then, especially you as a trill doctor on this ship. <laughs> also, what exactly are you a doctor in? I just I'm curious. If this is your thing, help us help you. Maybe we should stay on task. And okay, then that's absolutely light. fair. Yeah. Why don't you uh, get started over here at this sensor suite, and uh, we'll just keep a monitor on what you're doing, okay? When did you when did you detect this vessel? How 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 long ago did you detect the vessel? It, probably thirty minutes ago, I would say. I mean, we're not dead did you, yet. Did you get a, a a make? Did you get a class? What kind of vessel it was? Look, this is all we got, and I'll pull up the log on the lab yeah. and sort of bring he up the. Moves over to it and places his hands down next to the computer. I mean, he the way he approaches this computer console and the way he leans up against it, it's almost like there, there's almost this sort of desperation. Like he's he doesn't even seem to know what it is, but he leans forward and he's looking at the data, just trying to. It, he looks like a man that's really hoping not to see something. Mm. Like he's and, like he's reading the data and hoping he's not going to see what he thinks he's going to see. Um, focus might be on the data, and maybe even Lacat's focus may be on the data. Tech is intently watching what he's pressing, uh, figuring out the command lines, everything like that, to make sure everything is within parameters. Okay. Is, yeah. He's. So he's basically he's basically doing a spectral analysis. He's like bringing up this the sort of the sensor ping that it got. Um, mostly of it was like a thermal scan, so it was detected the energy of what might be a spike. It might be consistent with what the Romulans use for their power cores, the, essentially mm -hmm. their singularity cores. Mm -hmm. um, Federation vessels are known to detect that. Um, it doesn't look like the data is conclusive. It looks like it did pick up what looks like just like a quick blip of something, um, sixty thousand kilometers aft, and then it was gone. Um, quick question, just as a point of order: Do we know yeah. what type of engines the Jajashian people use? Do they have a thermal engine as well for their warp two? They, they have no. They don't. You. They don't. They. Well, so. The thermal signature basically just the the, yeah. the energy signature that is being generated from this the singularity core that the romulans use right. jashashians actually use something very similar to what you guys use okay. they it's, it's a very low tech like early warp core gotcha um, yeah so um as he's looking over this he just says this is nothing i can't do anything with this this what do you mean this is nothing? It's nothing. There's nothing right? here. Yeah, that's I, the problem. I, I, there's not enough data here. This could be a subspace anomaly that appears in the Shackleton Expanse. Listen, Doctor, I did not come to you for speculations or more problems, okay? It's not there. We didn't get enough data. I know all of these things. I brought you here for a new perspective, and if your perspective is we can't do anything, then I would ask you to leave, please. If you'd like to help, or if this seems like something that would be important to you, I would like to hear solutions now. Thank you. You're welcome. Good luck. Escort him out, I say to the security. Security nods to you and says, would you come with us? And 
he Wellick says, where else would I go? And <laughs> they lead him out. I turn to Lacat and I go, well, I don't think it's Romulan. I, I mean, we don't have a whole lot, but I think he would be a lot more worried if he really thought it was Romulan, right? I think that's a fair assessment, but I'm not gonna tell you how to run your sensor room. Aw, you're the first one to say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try and figure out what it is then. Okay. I feel a lot better knowing it might not be wrong. Um, there's a commotion outside the laboratory door. Okay, um, okay, what kind of commotion? <laughs> it sounds like shouting and muffled noises. And the the door goes, slides open, and you see two security officers trying to restrain uh, Wellix as he's trying to force his way back into the room. <clears throat> and he's shouting at you, Tachyon Pulse! And he gets pulled back from one of the security officers. Oh. All right, all right, let him speak. <clears throat> the, he straightens up his clothes as best as he can and he looks at the security officers and looks back at you and just says what you might try is rigging a probe to detonate with a tachyon pulse ah you essentially send out like a tachyon grenade into deep space it's your best chance of trying to locate anything think of it as sort of like a spatial mine it's probably not going to locate anything that's out there but what it might do is force them to maneuver or to change their positions or to get closer. It might open up the opportunity to try to detect them again, which would, inc- which would allow you to gather more data. If they haven't struck yet, then they're watching you for an opportunity to strike. Well, Dr. Wellix, thank you very much for your insight. I very much appreciate the solution. Now, aside from the technical specifications, According to your, mm, let's call it, gut impulse, if you were to be on a ship that was recently detected by a Federation starship, where would you go? Right underneath us. That is where we're going to send the probe then. You heard them, security officers. Send that tachyon probe that I already had prepped out behind us, or underneath us. All right. And I'll spend two momentum for that. Okay. <laughs> yep. We're down to three now, right? Four. So, so real quick, if you're going to launch a probe, you will need the cath- captain's authorization. Right. So, that so that'll be my knows, next call. So the captain knows what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, Chief Tech to Captain Sol. Go for Captain Sol. Those specifications that I sent over, I think they're going to do it with the uh, with the probe, uh, and I have a better idea of which direction to send it in. Um, I did unfortunately have to inform a certain doctor of our plans, but he did provide valuable insight. Did he? Interesting. Mm. Uh, the I, I, the specifications I have here look like a more of a grenade than a probe. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly sure, but we're kind of flying blind here all around, huh? Yes. I looked up. Why would somebody be waiting here and now? And what would they do if they thought they were caught watching? Prawl thinks about this for a moment and says, 
my honest assessment of the situation, and the only reason, frankly, Captain, I didn't say this before is because there's just not enough information and I didn't want to give any false leads. The Romulans have near-perfect cloaking devices. Even throughout the Dominion War, the Dominion themselves, who are known to be able to detect close vessels, had difficulty detecting Romulan vessels. If we spotted something on sensors, my suspicion is, is they want us to know we're wa they're watching us. That's the impression I get. Someone who, if there is a ship out there, if that's what this is, and it's a Romulan ship, then it was deliberate, is my guess. If it's a Klingon ship, we caught them with their pants down. But why would they send a Klingon ship after us? And then there's the third option. It could be something completely unknown. We are in an uncharted sector of space. It's hard to say, but my instinct is the same as your instinct, Captain. I tend to think that there's a ship out there. Yeah. And for whom did they send this little message? Was it for our crew? Or was it for Chief Tech's helpful consultant? It's possible, but if they think he's on board the ship, the damage would have been done by now. I can't imagine why they would want... I can't imagine why they're following us right now. Too many variables, Captain. It's impossible to say. Yes. Uh, tech, hold on the grenade. I don't yeah. want them to know that we've caught them until we can do something about that. It's on if your you can mark, find Captain. something quieter, if you can find something subtler, something accidental, mm. that there may be a tachyon emission that might be coming from the hull of the ship. Ah, oh, what a disaster! Hmm. It's a bit of a stretch, Chief. I don't. Well, I, all of it is a stretch. <laughs> Chief Tech is a good talker. I'm sure he could talk his way out of that one. Prawl kind of grins and nods. Well, I, I await your orders, Captain. Of course, I won't do anything without your permission. I just wanted to let you know that it's ready. And we do have coordinates set on a possible target. Can you rig it for a cascade failure? Make it look like the probe is breaking down. Let the tachyon pulse be a part of that meltdown. Ha, ah, we're sending um, some new technology for scanning. It is a and scanning we're a technical probe. test bed. I mean, these things are just, they're temperamental, wouldn't you these say? These things happen. Shoddy equipment. So... <laughs> no, it's not shoddy equipment. <laughs> All right. So you're going to start more broken this. and then send it out. Yes. Understood, right. Captain. So instead of making this an extended task, because you do have some time here, let's just go ahead and make this a straight up roll. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a control engineering check. And you will be assisted by the USS Ross. And the uh, cat. Oh, yeah. Because the cat's there. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the cat can help you rig for this, too. Yep. Um, how would the cat be? Um, you need to make it look like a sensor probe, and that's yeah. where a scientist and can come I in. know sensors. Well, so also the thing you're going to have to know is how to launch this probe 
without looking like you're launching it looking for this ship, right? Right. If you launch it in the direction that you want to launch it, it actually might be problematic. Right, right. Um, so I'm in a, a flight path that just <laughs> send it everywhere, make it look like the helm systems break down first, a cascading failure of various systems. It just happens to detonate once it's under us. Vryn, That's it. Vryn swivels in a chair and says, oh, Captain, I got it. Set the probe to orbit the planet and make it look like it's focused on scanning the surface of the planet, like you're getting a good in-depth science check on this brand new planet that we discovered. And then when it starts rotating on our way back into this orbit, it just happens to blow the hell up. The quick uh, problem with that, though, will that scare the Jajashians who have little to no experience with technology like this? Prawl immediately speaks up and says, it will absolutely scare them. The moment we launch it, they'll wonder if it's a weapon. And it's also worth noting that a dispersion of tachyons might seriously affect their equipment. Yeah, I'd rather go with the captain's suggestion of it, have it be a scatter pattern of a navigational fail. Oh, I'm, right. Okay. It, yeah, it, I just thought if we wanted to do the grenade thing. If I, if I may, I understand yes, that I understand that we're all very much wanting to figure out who and what might possibly be following us, and I understand that we want to deal with that as quickly as possible. However, we are in the middle of what is a very sensitive period of time between us and the Jashashians. And with all due respect, I do not think that now is the right time for this. Understood. I I tend to agree, except for where I fear the ship might be in danger. So we could keep an eye out for another uh, blip on the radar, I guess. I think that until they make themselves known, playing a game of cat and mouse is probably our best option right now, but I honestly don't think that either looks good, accidentally blowing something up or making our ship look un, uh, like it's malfunctioning in within visual range of Joshians right now. I just, right now is a very delicate point. Anything that could possibly go wrong could throw all of this off course, and we don't need that right now. I won't sabotage you, Ambassador. Yeah. Uh, Lakat, you should be able to infer the outer edge of the Jashashian's sensor systems. If we yes. can stay outside the envelope with a probe, I mean, they might not even be rigged to detect tachyon pulse. If we can there stay is... outside of their area of concern, would that allay your worries, Ambassador? Of course, and I apologize if I am asserting myself where it is not appropriate. No, I am... we absolutely have two objectives here, and your perspective is quite welcome. Sometimes we can get a little caught up in our Starfleet. Hence. Captain, there is one option we haven't considered. The Jashashians have technology to locate particle fountains as they are forming. And we've already established that we know that this could lead to technology that could help us to collect, detect cloaked vessels. I'm very aware, Commander. If we can get that over this visit, that may well be the best option. It's why I don't want to reveal our position too obviously too early in the game. We may well have better tools later. But now, I'm... I'm... He nods. Um... All right. Any other, any other business we're going to get to before we jump into our first contact? Uh, I think that uh, at this point, um, Olin is 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 showing fairly like 
decent amount of reserve, but uh, Lacat, I think, would have picked this up if anybody did. Mm-hmm. Um, Patience has been sitting at attention next to Olin this whole time, very much alert and like, which is not their usual, like not her usual position. She's usually just laying at ease at Olin's feet, has not this mm-hmm. whole time, has very mm-hmm. much been at alert. Um, and Olin actually stands up. Um, <clears throat> I think I have a great deal of preparation to do. And if you, if you will excuse me, I think um, I think I'm going to go and do that. Uh, Captain Sol, if you wouldn't mind accompanying me for uh, just a moment, I would appreciate that. Excellent. I'd love to check in with you before we do this first contact. All right. Um, before we go, I'd like to roll um, the sensor scan that captain asked me to roll um basically sure. check and see what the radius of um uh to, to, oh my god i forgot how to say their name the just just the yeah yeah this is just hey um, just look at it this way in, in star trek like i i've i've heard so many stories from the actors who had to memorize techno babble and race names Oh don't feel God. bad if we stumble over our own you, you've witnessed me do it like twice this episode don't even sweat it <laughs> uh, there you go um, my name's Ravity. could they say my name anyway <laughs> um, so uh, yeah I'd like to run that scan and basically see what how far their sensors reach out just just in case okay and I'll roll for Ross okay cool no no successes from Ross do you want to take a momentum for an extra die? Oh, this is, no. This is a okay difficulty, because... By the way, this is a difficulty one check. Okay, great, because I got uh, three. Three to three? Okay, yeah. so bank two momentum. We're maxed out. And remind me specifically what it is you're trying to learn. Um, so basically, the captain was like, so Olin's uh, main concern was that, like, if they see this, um, uh, this piece of text, like, uh, orbiting their planet, are they going to freak out? Um, and so Captain was like, good point. See how far their sensors can actually like reach. So I'm- So you're trying to scan them to see how far their sensor technology will extend. Correct. Okay. Um, it is essentially the, the, I'll give you, uh, here's an example. Scanning them isn't going to alert them that they're being scanned. That's how, no, that, that, so in, in, in like a modern Trek sense, the technology, it's very easy to detect when you're being scanned by something. Oh, okay. Good Um, enough. So in other words, they don't have that technology. They don't know they're being scanned right now. This is giving you an idea of how far their sensors can extend. Mm -hmm. You get the impression that their, their tech is there. They can actually, they can detect things that are entering into the system. They can detect, they can detect objects as they enter into the system, but they're still using a lot of telescopic uh, uh, technology that is comparable to like 22nd century earth okay so um even though that they are capable of warp flight it looks like their deep space um their deep space uh, scanning equipment is still very much it's it's all geared towards detecting spatial anomalies and uh stellar bodies Got it. um so it's it's very much it's weak in comparison cool yeah. Um, I relay that information to tech, and that's all I needed to do. Thank you. Cool. Yep. All right. So, are you guys going to the captain's ready room, or where are you headed? 
I'm headed to the turbo lift. Okay. So the captain and Olin step into the turbo lift. Exio takes seat at the center chair. The two of you are in the turbo lift. I do apologize if I overstepped my bounds just then. Truly. I am not just saying it to be polite. This first contact is your balawick. You have every right and reason to have input into it. You are critical to its success. I must admit that sometimes I do feel a bit overwhelmed by all that you have to do. Um, and it is easy to feel as though I am being overlooked. I'm sorry if our crew has not adequately acknowledged your input and your value aboard our ship. Oh, I um, have to admit I was very excited about coming here and doing this, but I think I might have forgotten how isolating it can be to be only one of my kind, as I guess I could say, amongst a bunch of people whose main focus and desire is, well, exploration and science and technology, and I just want to meet people and help help the Federation make friends. And in that vein, I feel I have struggled making them myself in a very strange and backwards sort of way. Why do you say? I'm good in my official capacity. Um, in an unofficial capacity, I find I have uh, been floundering a little bit and feeling rather disconnected. Uh, we're heading to what deck in particular? Have you set a destination? Um, I think that whenever Olin is starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed, they usually head for the holodeck. All right. All right. Uh, there's a program that I like to use. Uh, it usually helps me clear my head. It's It's nice. If you wouldn't mind joining me, I would not say no to the company. Deck 11. Yes. I wouldn't mind it myself. This is my first time doing first contact directly. It's if you feel uncomfortable among the Starfleet folk, I think you'll find I am in unfamiliar waters myself now, and could use some tips. Hmm. Well, first contact is a, an interesting experience from what I've been told and what I remember, <laughs> but it is a, uh, it is a wonderful one, especially with the a species this accommodating and kind and this excited to share their culture with us. Um, Certainly the ones we've met. I try to remember that people aren't homogenous. You know, all Deltons aren't alike, all Orions aren't alike. Indeed. 
Uh, you would be correct with that. And as soon as the turbo lift arrives at deck 11, Olin sort of strides to the holodeck uh, console. Um, <clears throat> uh, Patience fetch, Alpha 1. And then steps into the holodeck, and inside the holodeck is like this wide open field full of flowers and grass and just sky and field as far as the eye can see. Computer Frisbee, please. Computer responds to your commands. And Owen, like with a mighty throw, just tosses that Frisbee out and Patience just goes. Is this a actual place or did you design this? Oh, um, when I lived in Japan, there were quite a few places that were still like this. I would uh, often take the Shinkansen to them because Japan is the kind of country, if it ain't fixed, don't broke it. Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I... Earth sayings. Well, we both know them. We both did our time on that planet. Mm. Yes, I, uh, I do believe I remember reading about that in your, in your I chart. I confess, I didn't quite uh, adopt the love of root beer. <laughs> Root beer was oddly enough one of my uh, one of my favorite things. I I don't I don't indulge in a lot of sweets, but root beer floats are a specific weakness, I think, of mine. I can't say that uh, Doctor Yugas uh, shared my appreciation, but I do appreciate that he was willing to give it a try. Ambassador, may I? ask you one rather more specific piece of advice, one relevant, I suppose, primarily to the two of us. Of course. How can I help? Well, Deltons and Orions, we have a certain sort of analogous physiology and certainly I try to control what pheromonal influence I have, but I've never met someone quite as locked down about it, perhaps, as you. I have more receptors for such things than any other member of this crew, and I've never felt a thing off of you. How do you do it? Um, I mean... Do you take any sort of suppressants or anything like that? That's often the most common way. It's direct, certainly, but it's a bit of a blunt instrument I've always found. I, Captain, how much of my uh, file have you read? The parts that are marked as necessary for a captain then you will have taken note that a certain thing that is common though not required of Deltons might be missing from my file. Is that in your medical? Oh no, no. Uh, it would be something that the captain would, would know. Um, usually Deltons, not required, obligated, can choose to take a, uh, an oath of celibacy. 
due to their pheromonal nature and the fact that they are also obligated, though not required, to take pheromonal suppressants. Um, one, the other, tend to go hand in hand. Um, I do not have a vow of celibacy on my file on record, and if you were to check the medical records, I also do not take suppressants. I am so locked down, as you say. <clears throat> and uh, Olin takes the frisbee back from patients and throws it again and is silent for a few moments. My receptors work just fine. And I can do a lot of the things that most Deltons can do. I called you down to the to 10 forward today because I was being asked to do a specific thing that I am not capable of doing. The receptors are fine, but the output is not? The output does not exist. That can't have been easy. My parents never treated me as though it was anything particularly unusual. I didn't have the same luck with the rest of my planet or the people I associated with there. I'm, I'm sure, given uh, what I know about Orions, you might have experienced a similar phenomenon. Oh, no. Orions absolutely understand non-binary gender. They're very comfortable with that whole sort of... I... And I guess we both found ourselves on Earth. Yes, uh, not that I had it any easier there sometimes. The expectation. No, we just trade one for the other. Indeed. <laughs> I'm afraid that one of the biggest motivations I had for coming on this mission was that there would be no predisposed ideas about what Deltons are and what they are capable of doing. I could be any kind of Delton I wanted. I suppose that's the nice thing about first contact, isn't it? They have no expectations of us yet, and we get to set them. Indeed. <sighs> May I? I point to the frisbee. Oh, sure. Of course, go ahead. She really gets some air, doesn't she? Remarkable. Have you ever tried getting jump off the back? I've seen them sometimes. Um... I mean, you might need one person to throw and one person to... Hmm. Yes, you are right. I confess I've not really ever had a companion for this sort of thing. Anytime. 
I love dogs. I don't trust anybody who was who doesn't. The wampat isn't too bad either. Oh, uh, actually, um, Patience and Orwell are very good friends and have been for a long time. I don't think he'll fetch nearly as well. No, to a certain degree, we've managed to get a version of fetch to happen with Orwell, but it is usually fraught with peril and involves (laughs) a lot of holes in your fingers. Ambassador, if you can get a Wampat to do something even resembling fetch, I think this first contact is going to be a great success. I am very excited. Very excited. This is why I am out here. This is what I came to do. Then let's get you to it, shall we? After you, Captain. Patience, come. As you're sitting in her chair, you, uh, Exio, you get a chirping sound coming through the communications as Vren says, Captain, and then you hear Prawl say, I have it, Lieutenant. And Prawl says, Commander, the planet, they're hailing us. On screen? Um, coming up on screen, um, you see what looks like uh, connecting into... It, it, it's clearly a governmental building. And the view screen, the viewport that you've connected through is, <laughs> it's you've essentially connected into the civilization's internet. <laughs> so as you bring it up online, you hear some chirping noises from the console, and then you see the visual up here. And what you see is you see, uh, you see the good doctor standing there, still in science uniform. Looks like he hasn't slept. <laughs> Acknowledges you with a bit of a smile as he sees a familiar face. Um, you see a bunch of people in these uniform-looking guards with these strange helmets that kind of come to a point. They look like they're made out of metal, and they kind of like fold in front, almost sort of like Star Warsy and like Imperial Guard-looking sort of like ceremonial helmets. Um, but they do not seem to be armed. They're just sort of standing off to the side of a very large, like, individual who's probably about five eight or five nine. Um, but what's interesting is this individual is clearly older. Or you have to assume there's sort of like a graying effect taking place in the hair. But the <laughs> the obsidian uh, plates on his face have actually expanded and have grown they seem larger than the plates on the other the scientists so they actually take up portions of his face giving him this sort of like black black glossy obsidian look um which is noses and ears interesting yeah which is a stark contrast to the big vibrant smile that he gives when you come online and he goes they they don't look anything like us (laughs) (laughs) um the the scientist just goes uh, yes, uh, 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 this is Commander Exio of the starship USS Ross, uh, from the United Federation of Planets. And it's good to see you. S- he shifts in his seat and says, 
I get to be I get to be the one who makes first contact with an alien species. This, this... Oh, believe me, we are just as excited as you appear to be. No, oh, I, 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 I saw images of your spaceship in our sensors. It's, it's rather large. How long did it take you to be? That's not obviously the, the best question to ask right now. Um, I would very much like to invite all of you to come to the, uh, the, the, the Palace of the Regent. I would love to meet you all in person. Um, I understand you have a, an ability to teleport. Is that correct? Is that, is that uh, accurate? Yes, we have capabilities of coming down to your planet quite easily. Um, I I would like to inform you that our captain and our ambassador are very excited to meet you, and I'm sure that they would be delighted to hear of your invitation. This is extraordinary. This there's really nothing. There's really nothing. There's nothing in our history that that, that can prepare us for this. We we knew that once we engaged in interstellar travel, there was always the possibility of running into celestial neighbors, but but we never anticipated this. Um, and uh, our good scientist here has told us the most extraordinary story, and I want to extend my personal thank you for salvaging our station. We spent a good many years developing the technology to build that station. It would have been a terrible loss for us. Um, uh, why don't we set a time? Uh, if you are available in the next hour or so, I can arrange a meeting right away. And of course, um, before I continue, though, I, it occurs to me I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. Um, I, I wonder if you might, uh, your, your teleportation technology, it is discreet. You can enter and exit without being seen, I take it. Um, seen by whom? Well, to put this rather bluntly, Commander Exio, I would prefer that we meet face to face before the general public learns to what is going on right now. Oh, oh, sure. Yes, Excellent. we can be as uh, discreet as necessary. We do not want to cause any alarm. We would like for this to go as smoothly and as, um, as comfortable as all parties involved would like it to be. Good, good, good. And, and, and know this, we are going to have food prepared. We are going to roll out the carpet Ooh. for our new friends. I, I should really? tell you though, Please, please know that we will not be offended if any of your dietary restrictions uh, do not uh, accommodate what we have to feed you. I, I, I do understand this is a quite a new cultural exchange that we're having right now. This is exciting. Um, I, will I would not worry you. about that. We have Good. many, many cultures that eat many, many different things. I'm sure there is at least one stomach on board that will love your food. That's excellent. Um, before you beam down, I want to give you and your crew a bit of a warning. We have been experiencing uh, seismic activity uh, these past uh, two, maybe three years. It's totally normal. It happens this time of year uh, all the time. So don't be alarmed. I want to make sure that everyone feels absolutely comfortable. Uh, this is a new world for you and a new world for us as well. Um, I look forward to seeing you. Uh, do you know how to get to the the palace is the high regent do you, do you know how to find it well if you could give us the coordinates of uh um, coordinates uh, we can we do that is there coordinates? don't don't worry we we will be able to find it and we will give you proper warning ahead of time when we will be set to arrive you said within <gasps> the hour extraordinary you're just going to teleport i love it i absolutely love it uh see you within the hour <laughs> 
Um, Wonderful. Um, I will have the con, uh, the captain contact you as soon as they are available. Excellent. Um, Joshi, uh, people uh, out. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see you soon. <laughs> and it deactivates. <clears throat> what sweethearts. <laughs> um, Commander Exio to Captain Sol. This is go for Captain Sol. Well, I just had quite a delightful conversation with the Grand Regent, I believe, is Ooh. what they refer to themselves as. I believe so. The regent. Um, seemed quite enthusiastic to meet all of us, especially the two of you. Um, and is quite giddy about the opportunity of seeing a teleportation in action. I could only imagine. Yes. Yes. He Can said within the hour. The Sorry? All together on the level. Um, he would like for his citizens to not be aware of us in particular at this moment. He would like to meet us first. But he has invited us all to some sort of feast and greeting. Who are we to refuse such hospitality, right, Ambassador? Hmm. Of course not. Absolutely. I, I do believe that we would have one chief engineer who would be livid with us if he were to miss out on the opportunity to try new food. So if he doesn't mind us coming down first as a vanguard and then bringing everyone down once we have uh, properly assessed the state of things, I would be more than happy to accommodate the, the, the high regent. Ambassador, believe me, I've already warmed up of that particular stomach that would be interested. And he seems quite eager to follow any sort of protocol we put in place as he, as he stated, this is his first contact. I tried to remind him that this is ours too with him, but they have no protocols in state uh, uh, in place for what to do, so I'm sure any guidance would be much appreciated and would gladly have a meeting with the two of you before the rest of us come along. And I would hope that should things go well enough, and it is within the cap uh, captain's desire to do so, I would love to be able to reciprocate an invitation and give them a treat of our type of food on our promenade, but only if the captain okays that, and after we have gone through a full vetting process, of course. Oh, why did we build these grand diplomatic suites into my ship if we don't use them occasionally? Uh, Commander, tell Chief Tech that we'll be sure to pack a takeaway box to bring back with us if you, would... Lieutenant LeCat, uh, and Chief Tech could continue on our project. We might bring uh, Commander McCrell along with us. Just, I'm just going to need access to a replicator really fast. Mm. We'll stop before we go to the deck to beam out, shall we? I'm sure they have sure. to get the coordinates together. Yeah. We'll pick something up very quickly. <laughs> All right. So... Would you like me to inform Dr. McCrell to come meet you? Yes, please. That'd be lovely. Thank you, Commander. We'll do have a wonderful first contact. It's all out. Um, all right. Command so... Oh, and then Commander Exio to Dr. McCraw. And tech. Conference Ooh. call. <laughs> uh, yes. Go for tech. Ooh. <laughs> Hello, uh, Commander Exio, for the two of you. 
Um, yes. I was just I, I was just in communication with the captain and the ambassador, and they would like to request your assistance and um, um, your company, Doctor McCrell. Oh, how lovely! Oh, oh, this will be one of my we have first made contacts. contact. Hmm. Excellent. And we have we we have been invited down, and I am to inform you a doggy bag for you, Tech, will probably be brought on board. A what? Is, no, a doggy um, bag. Wait, hold. <laughs> is that uh, an, is that a animal joke? Uh, a canine joke? No, it, it is an an Earth takeaway bag of food. Oh, where am I taking it? From the planet to the ship. Oh, oh, oh you're bringing it to me. Not oh. me personally. I believe the captain and the ambassador might be doing the handing off particularly as I'm staying I'm, on board the ship as well. Just so I understand, am I the dog in the scenario? Am, I'm not a dog. <laughs> I'm, oh dear. Uh, Dr. I was not informing you that you would be receiving a doggy bag. This is for Chief Tech only. I believe that this conference call may have been confusing. Yes. <laughs> Either way. Uh, well, uh, you, you are to report to the captain, Dr. McCrell, and you will receive food, Chief Tech. Is that right. more? <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you, Commander Axio. I See, shall report to the captain with the bag of so the dogs. <laughs> Perfect. We, I guess we can, if, if it's too confusing, just say takeaway bag. Or leftovers. I don't know. Oh, leftovers. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I understood this. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's start our next scene off. Let's start our next scene off with all of you beaming down into the Palace of the High Regent. Um, Olin is holding in their hands what looks to be like a large two-tiered box that's mm -hmm. wrapped in like this really pretty fabric. It's a bento. Yeah. It's a bento box wrapped in like the, the traditional Japanese fabric that uh, Owen has re replicated and brought down. Okay. Well as in dress um, uniforms, uh, I imagine that the scant rides fairly high on them, uh, <laughs> but we can't not have scants, so. Okay, so everyone's in their dress uniforms then. That would make sense. So everyone's looking fine in their dressed uniforms. Um, okay. I look, I look very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so as the beam completes and that sort of chime sound begins to fade from your ears as the blue curtain parts and you find yourselves in the Palace of the High Regency. The Palace of the High Regent is a palace indeed. This is a vaulted ceiling that you're standing underneath. But what's striking about this is everything is carved from that beautiful crystal detected in space. So the entire building has this vaguely luminescent glow using a lot of the technological lighting sources that they have for subtlety effect. So as you beam in, this room is softly glowing like an angelic hall. And underneath all of these, these crystal like floors and ceilings and whatnot are works of art and sculptures that have been incorporated into the crystal itself. Some of these crystals have actually been enhanced for a magnification effect, and that has been manipulated so that it fixtures into the art. So there are pieces, fabulous paintings, works of art that almost look like they're reaching out from the walls. Um, 
they almost look like they're people that are standing next to you. All the members of the Jashishia race, they're all just like all throughout this hallway. You can see their histories. Um, the Jashia, the, uh, the, pre the high regent himself, I should say. Um, the, Jashia, the Jashia high regent um, is standing in front of all of you as you're beaming in, um, flanked by his guards who again are still unarmed, but there are a lot of them this time. Um, they're also in dress uniform. Their uniforms look black with these sort of imperialistic looking like folds over the chest and like very subtle stitchings down the sides. Um, it looks vaguely uh, Roman-esque the way it's kind of like put together. It's very blocky at the top, but it's all completely covering them. So the guard uniforms are black from head to toe um, with a few what look like indicators of perhaps rank with these sort of like purple luminescent stones on their chest. Um, you're not sure what that denotes, but it might denote like a rank or like what it is they serve. The high regent, however, is as I described, a very large individual, um, five eight in height, but is looks like he's wearing like these folded robes. Um, these robes look like they've been folded many times, like layered over and over and over and over all over, and yet it doesn't look like the robe itself is heavy on him. In fact, it looks like a very beautifully artistic pleating job where it's just like across the chest and down, sort of giving this sort of segmented look. These robes fit him quite well and they're not pretentious. They're actually quite simple. They have very subtle like crystal inlays um, etched throughout like some of the seams, also giving him a vaguely luminescent glow to some of the areas of his like collarbone area and whatnot. But of course, his the obsidian plates across his face Another stark contrast to that big, bright smile on his face as he sees you all up here. Um, this man has black hair that is tied back into what looks like a row of ponytails going up from the top of the head all the way down the back. So it's very sort of like a ponytail mohawk going from the top of his head down all the way. His last ponytail looks like it's about a foot and a half long and just kind of drifts down the, his back. Um, he throws open his hands, which are adorned with all these crystallite rings, and he just says, Welcome! I'm so happy to see you! Look at all of you! You just beamed out of nowhere! Absolutely incredible! <laughs> Unbelievable! Uh, please come in! Welcome to the Palace of the High Regents! Uh, I, of course, am the High Regent. My name is Aluzaz Keel. But you can just call me High Regent Keel or Keel in this particular case, obviously. <laughs> um, and these, of course, are my gods. They are simply called the Nameless. Don't worry, it's not as dark as it sounds. It's just an old-fashioned name um, that we have uh, from our old... Uh, there's too much to explain. I can't give you a world history lesson <laughs> right here in the hallway. And, of course, you know, you know our good doctor. Um, and he, uh, the doctor, is actually no longer wearing that sort of like, you know, utility uniform of a scientist. Um, he looks very tired, though. And he gives sort of like a, uh, a quick smile and just says, uh, Good evening. Welcome to <clears throat> This is my home that I never would have seen again had it not been for you and your help. Um, and the high region says, yes, yes, uh, let's, uh, please, uh, if, if I could have introductions, I would love to, to know which one of you is the captain. I step forward. 
Hello, my name is Captain Azri Sol of the USS Ross. Lovely <gasps> to meet you, High Regent. Look how big you are! My goodness! He steps over and says, I, Do you shake? How do you greet? Do you shake? Interesting. It's fascinating that that's cross-cultural. Yes, we do. Excellent! And he holds his hand up like this. Alright. I will uh, match and mirror. Okay, he slides his fingers between yours and does this. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Oh, what a delightful, delightful skin tone you have. Absolutely fantastic. Um, Why, thank you. I made it myself. But please, if you could meet our ambassador. This is Olin Marginir. Olin Marginir. I... I stoop down just a little bit uh, to be a little closer to his ear, and I mutter the name again the way that you do with politicians who are meeting in a room to try to help ah, him out. Ah, ah, ah. Olin Marginil. Yes, it's it's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> Olin puts their hands up because hey, this is something they would like know this. already. They would have done this several times with everybody else that has been on their ship. My goodness, you're also... I, forgive me. <laughs> you're also varied. It's such a remarkable thing to see. I, I regret to tell you that we are, well, we all look like, well, us. <laughs> we don't have quite the variation that your species has. What do you for a moment regret the way that you look. I find your species to be both beautiful and breathtaking, and I have had quite the time exploring your varying histories uh, through the tattoos that you guys display on the sides of your face. But I'm being yes. rude. We, we do have one other member uh, of our party with us today, and that would be our very good Dr. McCrell. McCrell, when you are introduced, his face drops and goes, oh my. And, <laughs> and I put my hands up to shake with my claws out. On, oh, sorry. And then he, retract. He steps forward and he puts his fingers through your fingers and shakes your hands. And then he just says, hello, you are a doctor? Yes, uh, and I've had wonderful uh, interactions with the people of your culture. Coming out of the uh, cryogenically frozen tubes, yes. uh, it was I, was, I was the first face that they saw. So I have seen this reaction before. Oh yes. Uh, I. I apologize. I, no, it's I, all right. I knew, I knew that when we first met, that there was a possibility of meeting uh, uh, again an, an array of perhaps of, of people that I've not used to seeing before. And you are so unique and interesting. And <laughs> being so rude, I apologize. It's uh, all right. I'm I'm here to um to meet you and enjoy your culture and to bag a dog. Good, good. If, if, uh, <laughs> I, I look forward to learning what that is. <laughs> um, please uh, follow me. I'll escort you myself to the uh, to the dining hall. This is quite extraordinary. I would love to hear everything about this United Federation of Planets. And uh, were, are, are you a, a completely separate species? Uh, do you eventually turn green? <laughs> I, I, uh, do you do you start this color and then end up this color? <laughs> I, um, the three of us so all belong to very unique cultures and races and alien species. And, really? we, and we have hundreds more aboard our ship. Each hundreds? Year. Yes. That is... Uh, you see the scientist stare at him, kind of, and look back at you guys, kind of awkwardly for a second, and you see him just go, 
That's beautiful. That's absolutely lovely. And you all built a ship together and sailed the stars? We do indeed. That might be the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. <clears throat> well, to the food, I suppose, uh, this way. <clears throat> and he begins to, as you guys kind of exchange looks, um, there's a chirp uh, on your communicator, Captain. Um, After alerting patients to the fact that she will not in fact be bagged, I'll hang back as the other two are led along uh, and answer the chirp. So this is, you're getting a chirp because it's coming from Exio. Yes. I so figured Exio, and I kind of wanted to do them. This is what has taken place on board the ship while uh, they've beamed down. Um, it's quiet on the bridge and <laughs> Vren is just going, Jataran, 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 Jataran. Prawl speaks up and says, yes, Lieutenant. Jataran, you got it the third time. I trust you. You'll do fine. And he glances all the way back at the weapon station and says, Yes, sir. Of course. Yeah. I'm just uh, just making sure. Just making sure. And um, Prawl from his security station kind of gives you a look. Exio just kind of like this smirk, like he's he's picking on the kid a little bit. Um, and then there's a chirping noise that comes through, and you see Prawl's facial expression shift uh, suddenly. And he just says, Captain, I'm detecting a vessel. Uh, addressing you, Commander. Yeah, 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 yeah. He says, Commander, Where is I'm, it? I'm detecting a vessel. I'm putting it up on screen. And you see um, the horizon of this planet, Jadaran. You see this grand, uh, this huge orange sphere with all of these beautiful clouds in the atmosphere and an object peeking around one of the horizons in the far distance at about 80 to 85,000 kilometers away. Um, and he starts magnifying it and it comes up on screen. And as it pops up on screen, when you see, um, it doesn't immediately register to you what it is, Exio. But as you're sitting there, you kind of lean forward in the chair a little bit to squint and you hear, you hear Vryn at the console go, Oh my God. And what you see in the image uh, coming around the top of the ship, this ship that you see emerging from the horizon is extraordinarily large. It is scale seven. Um, it's a scale seven ship, which means it's one Holy scale moly. larger. It's one scale larger than the USS Ross. Um, it's remarkably elongated. It looks like it, it looks like a series of shards, like uh, these sort of cobalt blue spikes, like three of them sticking forward, meeting at a junction point. Um, and it has sort of a bulbous end at the back, but the whole thing has this sort of textured uh, surface to it in this sort of ambient deep blue glow, except for these large yellow, like looks like nets that are constantly spinning around in a slow motion. The ship almost looks like the giant tip of a spear that has this sort of like yellow glowing web rotating around. And Vryn swivels in his chair and looks at you, Commander, and says, Vryn, go to yellow alert. Captain. Yellow alert. We have visitors. Commander, that's a Tholian dreadnought. Captain. This is Captain Sol. We have Tholians. 
not far. Is that where we're leaving it? Yep. <laughs> I said red alert before. Red, yellow alert. You called it. Called it. You are a good. This is why you were in charge of my shit. Hey, and also for the record, that is the first time Gina DeVivo has ever called for a yellow alert. Mm-hmm. Well done. Why did you, you unmuted to do? Way to go. <laughs> Uh, I just want to say, do not follow the example of our high region tonight. Social distancing is very important. Grabbing people by their hands and shaking them right now is a bad idea. Um, maybe if the world is a healthier place and Gen Con comes around and we have a lot of hand sanitizer, we'll consider it. <laughs> but for now, let's just acknowledge that. So yeah, this is probably for the best. So that's where we're going to wrap up our episode tonight of Clear Skies as we begin to launch the first big story arc of our campaign. Um, did you guys have fun? Was that a good episode? Yay! <laughs> we're keeping ah, We're keeping I love them so much. Oh, they man, I'm so glad to be back. children. I have 196 pencils in stock right over there, and no one can hear them when I am muted. <laughs> there are some besides the remote gaming, and next week, we will so see Tholians exactly what's are bad. I feel like I gotta go read up on these kiddos. The now. Tholians yeah, are Eric up. talked to Jackson is what happened. He told yep, me I, he did I, it, you know and then he did it. The only reason I know Tholians is because didn't Jack write, isn't that what the comic is about? So hey, when Jack- Star Trek year five. So and when Jack goes through it, it's great comic series. It's gay. Y'all, it's yes. gay. It's Real gay, gay. It's gay. Go. So, oh. When Jackson Lansing was talking to me about uh, Clear Skies, because we've been collaborating a little bit, he and I, he asked me, like, what's one of the alien races that you're thinking about doing? And I said, well, I definitely want to get into the Tholians this time. And he's like, I just did a story arc on the Tholians. And I was like, can we talk? And we're like, sure. So Jackson Lansing and I spent like two hours talking about the Tholian assembly. (laughs) Tholians. So that I could pull the trigger on this. Crystal, but how much more fun would it would be if they were Bolians that were there? I mean, <laughs> that would be way more fun if it was a Bolian party a ship. Bolian not going to bring your brother back. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Raven. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Where do we start? I love Xander so much. Bolians are not, they are, they are not the nicest people, but they are not inherently shoot first, ask questions later. But they are sort of ask questions first and then shoot no matter what you say. So Great. we will see what happens. <laughs> um, join us next Monday night um, for our next episode of Clear Skies as we head into an encounter with the Tholians on top of first contact mission that's in progress. And what the hell is going on with that other side of the planet? Lots of mysteries that are starting to like unfold in front of you. Um, also, don't forget this Friday, We'll be joined with Thomas Maroney of Star Trek Online discussing the design for the USS Ross. Um, We are also going to be discussing Star Trek ships in general and taking questions from the audience. So definitely tune in for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time on Friday night. And that's all I have for you this episode. Is everybody else good? Anything else you all want to say before we sign off? All right. In that case, I'll leave you guys. Stay healthy. Stay. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Practice that social distancing. We'll see you next time. Until then, hailing frequencies are closed.